Welcome into Tailgate. We are done traveling. We are back in sunny Cincinnati. I guess done traveling until we head to the Combine, Indianapolis for the Combine. We're obviously going to get into our Super Bowl recap and then starting off our offseason needs and game plan series, looking at the AFC and NFC West. Going to go through everything, free agency draft, what they should do this offseason to right the ship. And then at the back end of the show, interviews with Danny Kelly from The Ringer, Jerry Judy of the Denver Broncos, and Khalil Herbert of the Chicago Bears. Let's get it. The Catch an Early Buzz segment is absolutely loaded. And honestly, the thing I first put in here over the weekend was the Brett Favre pick in the flag game that he was playing, um, which is not even close to as funny as some of the other shit that went down. But I, I love watching... When you writing Brett Favre pick in here, I was thinking something else. Oh, no, for sure. I know, I know was... we had some discourse over Brett Favre images yeah. or, or DPs, if you will, in LA. But I'm done talking about that. I've okay. Googled it. I've, I've been to image results page two with it. I'm done. I'm done. But the interception, uh, he was playing in some flag game that the NFL was posting. I think Michael Vick was in that game, too. I think he dropped a couple Cedar Lakes in that. But Brett Favre throws an interception. Let's actually talk about Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald potentially retiring. I think it was Rodney Harrison in an interview with Jack Collinsworth, I think, pregame, where they asked him. He said, I've talked to Aaron Donald and said, if he wins the Super Bowl, he might consider retiring after eight seasons in the NFL, obviously being as dominant as probably any defensive player in NFL history. Then that kind of caught on. NBC like kind of confirmed that report. I think it was another reporter with the NBC staff that said, yeah, he is he will consider retirement if they win. They obviously win. Not a lot of people are talking about it now. I can't fathom Aaron Donald retiring this early in his career coming off. I mean, he's been dominant for eight seasons in the NFL and showing no signs of slowing down, literally to the final play of this Super Bowl I just can't imagine that he does it. Now, it, I'm not saying he should or shouldn't, right? It's up to him. It's up to his body. But it would be, it would suck. Let's just, here's my official take. It would suck for people who watch the NFL if Aaron Donald retires. It would. He is already in the conversation for greatest defensive player of all time. Like, that's how good this guy has been. And it's kind of insane just going back and thinking about his career to where He's never missed a game for injury in his career. He's missed two games. Uh, I believe those are like week 17, like holdouts and whatnot. Wait, he's never missed a game for injury? Never missed a game purely via injury throughout his career. Wow. So completely healthy. Now, very good as a rookie, but like since year two on in the conversation for best defensive player in the NFL every single year, as dominant as he gets, 30 years old, coming off a Super Bowl win where he is the direct reason for that like literally won the game in the last play with his the last two plays last two plays and so if you were to script it like this would be a pretty good time to walk away like no yeah no sort of downturn in his game whatsoever despite his age still at the peak of his game still as good as it gets like you cannot write a better career now selfishly he is still only 30 like if with that as good as he is you would think five to six more years left in the tank of at least high-end high-quality-ish play should he not, you know, suffer the injury bug. But again, never been hurt in his career. I, I would be floored if he walks away, but would be like, what else does, it's like one of those things, what else do I got to prove? He's done it all at this point. So I wouldn't, bl I wouldn't blame him one bit for walking away. No, if you're sitting here blaming Aaron Donald for any decision to make, you're high, right? It's just well, I mean, like, not, even like, not even like not blaming him. It's like, 
If I were in his shoes, I would be seriously considering it too. It's like, what more do I have to do here? I have two things there. One, did you see the tweet that the MVP votes for the Super Bowl were due at the two-minute warning? Yeah, that seems... That's absurd. That's stupid. What if Joe Burrow won? Like, what? Like, do you just, like, still give it to Cooper Cup? Are you high? There's no way that's true. There's no way that's true. I would like to see kind of the voting process maybe they're due with the two minute warning it's like if the Bengals win who are you voting for and if the rams win who are you voting for but that literally eliminates the most important part of the well, game you know what i think it could be i think it could be you could start voting a two minute warning and like so people turn their votes in and then there's no like redos like there's no like oh, whoopsie, oh okay. like, which is what it was i voted for the player of the game in the national championship game and i voted for jake marta the punter uh for georgia and Did you actually? Yeah, just because I didn't care. But <laughs> what? You can't. You're sabotaging the process. I knew it wasn't going to actually be him, but I just thought it'd be funny if he got a vote and if they said that. But that's not funny. You, I mean, it was the Georgia game. You're ruining you the, the process. Okay. You're never going to get invited to that again. Yeah, yeah, you're screwing after it up. That. But then I went back. I was like, ha ha. I thought it was funny. I was like, maybe I can go change it. No, he couldn't change it. It was like finally so I submitted it. So yeah, maybe I'm a little bit of an idiot. But I could see it where how voting opens. You can place your vote, but to not have it go to the end of the game that you can submit it seems absurd. Like there's a flaw in the process because like you said, if they would have come back and won, they wouldn't have given it to a Rams. They straight up <laughs> wouldn't have. I don't care what the votes tally out to. They wouldn't have given it to Matt Stafford. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I would like, I would like more background information on exactly how that went. Down. The other thing I had from the retirement piece and you kind of hinted at it. It's like, I think with retiring in the NFL, retiring in any sport, a lot of people talk about like the story, right? Like ending on yeah. top, ending with the Super Bowl. Am I again, of course, never playing at that level. Mm-hmm. Is that not kind of overrated? I do think that there's a degree where like the Brett Favre retirement was ass. Like you like coming in, coming back out, coming in, coming back out, not looking good, all that shit. Like you don't want to end your career like that where people like literally what people most remember about Brett Favre outside of the dick pics is definitely like how he retired. Like he retired and then came back with the yeah. Jets and no one even remembers that. Like that shit sucks. But like no one's looking at Tom Brady's retirement like, oh man, it would have been, you know, man, I, I kind of wish you shouldn't have with yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No one's looking at like, no I think with Aaron Donald, it's like, yeah, would it be really sick that you put on the best eight years any defense player in the NFL history has ever done and then retired? Yeah, it would. But like no one's going to like look back on Aaron Donald being a piece of shit if he comes back for three or four more years and doesn't win a Super Bowl, right? Like, that's just not how it's going to work. So, I don't know. I think some of that stuff gets overblown or overrated and that like, the story of his career gets tarnished because he doesn't end on a Super Bowl. I think that's bullshit. I well, think just come back and play and be as good as you can be for as long as you want. But that's the other thing. It's like there could be a motivational aspect to it. It's like, what does he have to play for? Yeah. It's like maybe like that's what was no, driving him true. prior to this. Okay. And then it's like, what more does he have to prove to himself in this realm. That makes sense. I mean, it so, comes back to like what his goals are, right? Yeah. Like we've talked a little bit about this, even though like he's confirmed he didn't retire. He's not retiring with Sean McVay, right? So Sean yes. McVay is like, oh, maybe he retires and goes into the booth because Tom, Tony Romo makes 17 million a year in the booth, which is objectively a cushier job than sweating out Super Bowls on the sideline like Sean McVay. For That's more than, Bill Belichick, the highest paid coach in the NFL, only makes 12 and a half mil. So like it comes back to your goals, right? Like Aaron Donald, I'll tell you what, if he retires from the NFL, I think he'll do fine financially, you know, doing ads and doing these different things. He could coach, he could go in the booth. Dude, there'll be people throwing money at him yeah. left, right, and center. It depends what your goals are when you get to this stage where like the money obviously is a factor, but like, you know, Aaron Donald goes in the booth, he'll probably make maybe just as much as he made as an NFL player. So I, I think it's uh, it's interesting talking about that. It's weird talking about it because you don't know what the fuck they want, but I, the official take, and I'll leave it at this, it's a save your likes type of take, but like, Aaron Donald, I don't want you to retire because you're fucking fun to watch. That's period. There you go. All right. Super Bowl recap. Speaking of Aaron Donald, I want to start 
with the last two plays. Aaron Donald holds, I'm going to say this name loud and proud, Samaje Pirine on third and one. Or third and two, I think it was what it was, short of the gain, forcing them into the fourth and one situation. Why are you running the fucking ball to Samaje Pirine? On that situation. It makes no sense. Oh, throw him off guard. If it was Joe Mixon, they would have known. I don't care if they would have known. Joe Mixon's your better running back. That's a nice galaxy brain. Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> two. Two. The only, the only take on that fourth and one call. No one was open but Jamar Chase late in the play, who was late in the progression. And Quentin Spain got his ass smeared. Quentin Spain got ruined. Aaron Donald makes the play again. Back-to-back -back plays to win them the Super Bowl. People are like, oh, he was offside. So there's a screenshot of his helmet being across the ball. Here's the thing about Island games, even regardless of Super Bowl, there's always like at least like six calls that could have gone either way. And the only reason they're hyped up is because they're Island games. The face mask by T. Higgins, mm -hmm. you know, offsides by Aaron Donald, the Logan Wilson thing, the Logan Wilson, which I don't think should have been pass interference, but it was, could have been a makeup call. Yeah. You got to throw that shit out the window, man. It's going to go back and forth. The better team won this game, in my opinion. The Rams won this game. The only reason the Bengals were even in pole position to win the Super Bowl was off the T. Higgins 75-yard touchdown, which, according to Steve Palazzolo, it's a great tweet, the Bengals averaged 3.7 yards per drop back when you remove that, you know, what could have been offensive pass interference where he, you know, yeah. throws Ramsey by the face mask. And then the pick that was dropped off of Ben Skoranek, who's only in that game because OBJ tears his ACL. A lot of flukiness gave the Bengals this lead. They're averaging 3.7 yards per drop back in that game, despite the T. Higgins thing. And then Quentin Spain, the interior offensive line, that was the mismatch that everyone talked about for two weeks, showed up, reared its head on the last game. And guess what else reared its head? Bad play calling. Stuff we've been calling out all season. Zach Taylor runs a fucking dive to smash AP run on, in critical situation. Yeah. And ultimately cost them this game. I think a lot of the concerns with Cincinnati... The reason they were four and a half point, five point dogs against the Rams in the Super Bowl, the reason they were dogs against the Kansas City Chiefs, the reason they were dogs against Tennessee, all showed up in the Super Bowl. Interior offensive line stinks. Zach Taylor is inefficient as a play caller. And that that's what mattered, man. That's what mattered. That's what ultimately, you know, that's what ultimately cost them this win. Yeah, this game didn't go too dissimilarly than what I thought it would. I just thought Burrow would make that play at the end. You know, like I thought, be damned, whatever. I thought at the end, Joe Burrow would come up big. He'd get out of it like he did, he did with Chris Jones. Uh, yeah, and not to say that he didn't. He came up small by any means. I don't think he did. He just wasn't given the opportunity. You know, like that last play. Where are you going with that ball? You know, you can get you could take the one on one with Ramsey if you want, right off right off the rip. But it's like you're putting a lot of stock if you do go that route. Uh, and Jamar Chase, he had ran a go route against Jalen Ramsey and, and did end up you know winning that. But you're taking a lot of stock in. Gore guy being better than Jalen Ramsey, which is kind of the whole gist of why we say get yourself a number one corner. Because even if even the times when the guys are are open, even when they do lose, oftentimes your quarterback's not even looking that way because you don't trust you, you don't trust your guy to win against the best cornerbacks in the NFL. So, yeah, it was it just what he was wasn't put in a situation to succeed. Joe Burrow, the, the Bengals' offense, and again it comes back to the worst offensive line. Worse than the Chiefs' offensive line in the Super Bowl last year. At, at least as bad. Here are the pass blocking grades from their starting five. Jonah Williams, 41.4. Quentin Spain, 20.3. Trey Hopkins, 47.4. Akeem Adinaje, 26.0. Isaiah Prince, 2.4. It was the third lowest team pass blocking grade in the game all season long. That's... I don't. The fact that they even had a chance to win the game at the end was a minor miracle. That doesn't happen. So, yes. Like you said, the better team won. The, the Rams were just a more complete team and I do think that that was a bad call on Logan Wilson for 
that gave the Rams a chance, but at the same time, like you said, it was a bad, bad no call, call on T. Higgins. Higgins. Like there were those can go both ways. I do hate that they go. I, I do think it's bigger when it goes in the way of like throwing a flag when there probably shouldn't be a flag. Like I'm fine with missing calls over the course of a game, but like deciding something on a flag, I have a little bit more of a problem with. But even still, like I don't, I didn't think it was a poorly officiated game on the whole to where I'm going to complain that loudly about it. But yeah, I, I they just the. Bengals did not have answers along the offensive line. And for the people like saying, a lot of Bengals fans upset about the Jackson Carmen pick in the second round. And it's like, yeah, you would have rather, you would have loved to have drafted a guy in the second round who could make an impact, immediate impact as a pass protector starter. Like, yes, that would have been great. That would have been ideal. It's probably what they wanted. And if you're the Bengals, you're in a position where you never thought it was going to come back to hurt you in the Super Bowl, but like you wanted to. But at the same time, Easier said than done for a second-round guard. You can do that at the top 15 picks. That's why, you know, the Jets go up and get Elijah Vera Tucker. That's why, you know, the Chargers getting uh, Rashawn Slater. Like, yeah, you can get that near the top of the draft, but once you're outside of that, it's a crapshoot. The next three guards off the board, true guards after Jackson Carmen. Aaron Banks couldn't even start for the 49ers. Jalen Mayfield, who is legitimately worse than Jack Carmen was this year, and Wyatt Davis couldn't even start for the Vikings. Like, sure, you could have drafted Creed Humphrey there, center, would have been an upgrade, but shit, no one thought Creed Humphrey was going to be this. They packaged after center right before Creed Humphrey. And again, if you wanted to, they probably wanted a guard in Carmen when they drafted him. I probably would have gone Dylan Raidens or Sam Cosby there. Those are the guys who are high on the PFF board, could also play tackle type of guys or inside. But this was not, you were never playing for this year to win the Super Bowl. You were drafting a guy who you thought would be good two, three years down the line because this was never like their window. This, they never thought that this was it. For them. No so one I'm did. Not, so again, <laughs> if you're shitting on the Jack Harmon pick, you're like you're really reaching for straws with how good a job Duke Tobin has done building this roster. I mean, you look at this is on the fun to read segment, and I'm gonna tease it a little bit here. But like ESPN's Booger comes in and says, Joe Burrow was sacked 70 times this season, including the playoffs. You can't win that way. No, false. They did win that way. <laughs> yeah. They did win that way. They are a Logan Wilson fucking, you know, PI away from probably winning that game. If they called false start on the fourth down, they probably were offsides on the fourth down. They probably win the game. If they called false start on the play that Logan Wilson had the DPI, they probably they might win that game. Yeah. You can win that way, but you're not going to be favored in the Super Bowl that way. You're not going to be favored in the playoffs that way. You're not going to have home playoff games that way. You're not going to consistently compete for Super Bowls if Joe Burrow is getting sacked 70 times per season. But you yeah. can win that way, as they fucking did. They were like literally three points away from winning that Super Bowl. That tweet is ridiculous. You can win that way, but you cannot consistently compete for Super yeah. Bowls if your interior offensive line is literally like the worst in the NFL. I mean, it's, they had the ESPN charted them with the lowest pass block win rate of any team in any game this year. We had the third, they had PFF charts them with the third lowest pass block grade as a unit of any team in any game this year. You will struggle to win that way. The fact that they were even in there, again, comes back to the big 75-yard touchdown to Higgins, which borderline missed call, and the pick off of Ben Skoranek, who shouldn't be even in that game because Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. takes the ACL. You can win this way when certain things bounce you know, in your favor. And they did. And the Cincinnati Bengals were, the, the whole season has been bouncing in their favor. Getting out of a Chris Jones sack doesn't happen every year. A lot of these things bounce in their favor. Obviously, they're trying to strike lightning in a bottle, and they nearly did. Don't say you can't win that way. They almost did. But there's obvious, obvious areas where they need to improve if they're going to be favored in these games in the future. Earning one seeds, earning home playoff games, and earning, you know, a three-point favorite in the Super Bowl. And I think that's the bigger takeaway from this. Not necessarily like, discounting any decision they made this season. Any decision they made this season got them there. Yeah. 
decisions they make this offseason will determine whether or not they're in these games again and favored and actually, like, from an odds perspective, you know, likely to win these deep postseason games. I, I don't know how much more you want to weigh in on this game. I, I thought it was, again, it played out. Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford just lit it up on that game-winning drives. Tempo, spread concepts, you know, the no-look throw that is being, like, explored on Twitter, every inch of it being explored on Twitter was awesome. It was an absurd throw. The fact that he was looking down at Bryson Hopkins, the tight end that was running like the 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 hitch concept, and then hits Cooper Cup, moves Von Bell with his eyes, and then hits Cooper Cup, no look, was fucking insane. I think I saw Eric Galco of the Shrine Bowl said, what this shows more than anything is Matthew Stafford was playing with confidence, even with two picks already in that game. And I think that's been a big reason why he's had success both in Detroit and in Los Angeles. This guy doesn't stop. You know, his his confidence does not waver. And if his confidence did, he probably hits Skoranek for a little short gain there, and Cooper Cup doesn't get the first down. But instead, he's able to slam that in there because he's one of the more confident quarterbacks. And I don't think enough love has been given to Matthew Stafford. He was awesome in this game down the stretch. There were stretches with the Odell Beckham Jr. injury where this offense looked like shit, but showed up when it mattered. So did Cooper Cup. Big tip of the cap, in my opinion, to those guys. I think a lot of the media has focused on the narrative behind like drafting Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell and all that stuff. But I, I do think you got to tip your cap to the Rams. Sean McVay, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, their studs showed up when they were supposed to show up. Yeah, can I first just say I don't like the way you said how the throw was explored? That, yeah, I hated that, that like, too. That, I, hated that I didn't too. love that. that I just, did, I, can I say I didn't like it too? Okay, thank you for your re- recant of that. But I will say, okay. I'm not so recanting it. I said I didn't like okay, it. Okay, no one listening did either. Um, can I say, though, about Matt Stafford, the biggest difference and what they paid for and kind of what got underrated with him over his career, you mentioned like the confidence. He was a guy, even with Detroit, who when it was crunch time, big moments, he showed up fourth quarter, a lot of fourth quarter comebacks, that sort of thing. That was the biggest difference between him and Goff. Goff, a mental midget of sorts in big games. This was, Jesus. I mean, it's fucking it's true. Like, this was the difference. That last drive, the difference between him and Goff showed brightest day and this was kind of like the makeup the makeup game for the 18 super bowl mm-hmm. against the patriots that they should have won they yeah. straight up should have won if it didn't take jared goff's just most dog shit performance of his career they went any modicum of competent quarterbacking that game wins them that super bowl talking to marshall falk last week and you probably listened to the interview it was on podcast last week i mentioned that you know they brought matthew stafford in to come and get to the super bowl and then he's yeah. like i'll correct you they brought Matthew Stafford in to win this Super Bowl. And again, I always come back to betting odds and all that stuff, but I think it fucking matters. It's like Jared Goff's quarterback in this team. Maybe they do get to the Super yeah. Bowl, right? Maybe with, with Odell Beckham Jr. added and Von Miller, maybe they do. The reason they're favored by four and a half is because they got freaking Matthew Stafford, not Jared Goff. <laughs> you know, going to this game with Jared Goff, I don't know if they're favored. <laughs> Might be Burrow by three, even at SoFi Stadium. And that was, like I said, you have to give hats off to Les Snead because a lot of teams went – quote unquote all in this year a lot of teams push their chips to the edge sacrifice some future years the bucks did it the packers did it to a degree the saints teams did around it. the nfl that did it no one did it quite like the rams no one put their nuts on the table and left themselves exposed the way les needed <laughs> dealing the second rounder for a half season of von miller who then shows up big in the super bowl going out and signing odell beck and giving him more than the, the packers were willing to pay despite similar cap situations he put it all out there, and it paid off in the biggest way possible. So hats off to them. Happy for my boy Zach Robinson over there. I think who might be the next head coach after Sean McVay right now retired. Oh right? my goodness, stop! No, <laughs> one Sean McVay is not retiring. Two, 
I don't want to ha- – Zach Robinson will be a head coach in the NFL one day, and I'll say this. I've caught a touchdown pass from him in flag football, which is, a, which is a huge deal. Yeah. It was a little dump off, ran a little crosser. I said, hit me in the post or whatever. I was fucking lit. He he didn't have the biggest of arms, but that dude was very accurate, I will say. Oh, yeah. And playing flag football with him was pretty <laughs> – it was an enjoyable experience. That ball was wherever you needed And, like, okay, so you say he doesn't have the biggest of arms, right? But that thing was still coming in with some heat, yeah, dude. Like, he was too. still kind of firing. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember, like, catching a handful. I'm like, dude, you don't have to just throw it at my chest, like, throwing through me. Um before we get to our off-season game plans, which this series is going to be sick. We're going to do by division uh, per episode. We're going to do two divisions per episode looking at you know what they have currently in free agency or what they have for potential cut candidates, who their free agents are, how they should approach the off-season, knowing that trades and all this stuff is going to happen. For all the divisions, it should be freaking awesome, uh, all leading up into the combine. But before we do, the presenting sponsor of this podcast is DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. Okay, this is still the DraftKings Super Bowl ad. Going to see if I can find a different one here. Oh, Jesus. Dude. This is ridiculous. Amateur hour. This is this they said it was updated. They're lying to me. I don't know what to say. I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna shout out DraftKings. DraftKings is sick. Uh you can DraftKings is now DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. Not on football because Super Bowl's over. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest on Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. And guess what? That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Let's do 21 years or older. to DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'll say this. In addition to being a presenting sponsor... We are going through the ads or the the AFC and NFC West offseason needs and game plans ranked by how DraftKings currently has the teams priced on how they'll win the conference. So, for example, when we go over the AFC West, the Chiefs are tied for first in DraftKings odds to win the AFC. The Broncos are tied for fourth ahead of the Chargers, who are tied for seventh. And then the Las Vegas Raiders tied for 12th. You can bet those at DraftKingsSportsbook.com if you are in a legal betting state. I like looking at that stuff preseason. I do think it helps you put into perspective how the market, not DraftKings, not your mom, not me, how the market currently views. My mom has a good handle on the market. Don't She's got a good handle on a lot of things. This is how the market currently views these teams, right? So if you're like, are you kidding me? The Raiders are not the 12th best team in the AFC, Mike. You should just jump off a bridge. Okay, bet it. Go bet them to win the AFC. They have the 12th best odds. They have the 12th best odds of 16 teams in the AFC. Just turned into me there with a little lisp. All right, let's get into these game plans. Kansas City Chiefs currently yeah. tied for first with the Buffalo Bills to win the AFC. I believe they're tied for first with the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl in 2023. According to Arjun Menon, who's a football research intern here at PFF, go look him up on Twitter and follow him. He does a lot of great content for us. He did an off-season resources ranking for all 32 NFL teams looking at their free agency cap space their movable cap space, their dead cap space, and then their NFL draft capital this offseason. They're currently ranked 22nd in all of that. Obviously, that involves the low draft picks, but also they got a lot of dead cap, not a lot of movable cap as well. 
their current cap space is $4.3 million. Now, again, the reason you do the offseason resources rank is because some of that is movable. They can cut some guys. They can move on some guys. Potential cuts could be Frank Clark, which saves $12.7 million if they do it before June 1 or after June 1. Anthony Hitchens, if they cut him, could save him $8.4 million, right? That's why the 4.3 number isn't enough. So you're going to listen to a lot of offseason podcasts or read a lot of offseason articles like, Chiefs only have $4.3 million in cap space. They're fucked this offseason. No, a lot of that can be moved. They rank 22nd in offseason resources rank according to Arjun Menov of PFF and our current biggest needs according to Anthony Tresh who dropped an article today defensive line wide receiver and cornerback all of which I would agree with those could move obviously as the offseason progresses where do you want to start with your game plan to fix the Kansas City Chiefs well I think just breaking down where this roster like needs to get better for them like just how, how this team gets back to the Super Bowl I think the biggest thing and to me and I'm going to suggest one move the biggest move to make for each of these teams we're going through here. I do think that cutting Frank Clark, cutting Anthony Hitchens, those are musts at this point. It's $20 million. Those guys are burning through that cap space. If Frank Clark, a 54.9 PFF grade this year, one of the lowest pass rush win rates of any edge defender in football, and also one of the highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL. I would gladly, I would much rather take that money that's you know owed to him right now and use just a chunk of it on... Melvin Ingram. Like, like, Melvin Ingram was the objectively better player this past season down the stretch for them. That's where I would go if I'm them. And I think the one move I, I would make if I'm the Chiefs, the one move they have to make, one more wide receiver in there. And, and to me, another speed threat would take this offense back to that supercharged 2019-2018 sort of unit. Will Fuller, Marquez Valdez-Scaling, I get the injury histories of both. Speed guys and injury histories kind of go hand in hand. But signing one of those guys, they're not going to be that expensive. Uh, Will Fuller, especially after his injury history and the one-year deal he had last year, not going to be that much. Marcos Valdez-Scaling, good this year, but really the lone real year that he was has been good, honestly. So I, I don't think either of those guys would cost too much, really limit you cap-wise, but I would bring in one of those dudes into the fold, especially with, like I said, losing possibly Byron Pringle, possibly Demarcus Robinson, both those guys hitting free agency. I think we've talked about it a little bit. But the secondary and tertiary option in an offense, like pass catching option in an offense, I think is so much more valuable than anywhere even the market is right now. With like paying your number two receiver or paying a number three receiver or like a top ten or a top tight end. Because I don't think, you know, we talk about with quarterback, right? You need the quarterback and with the receiver, you need a playmaker. I don't think you need a playmaker. You need multiple, right? You look at the Cincinnati Bengals having Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. With the Rams, before the Odell Beckham Jr. injury, it's obviously Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. But even then, they had Robert Woods when they made the trade, a healthy Robert Woods when they made the trade. They were looking to add Odell Beckham Jr. to that fucking wide receiver room because they know how important it is to have more than just a guy, right? They had the NFL leader in receptions, yards, and touchdowns and still went out and got Odell Beckham Jr. because they know how much, how valuable yeah. a secondary and tertiary option, tertiary option in a passing offense. And like that's simply the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah, they have Tyree Kill. Yeah, they have Travis Kelsey, but they need this third piece, right? Like everyone needs this third piece. Everyone needs another option for when an injury happens or they're, they're, they're capping a certain, you know, they're, they're doubling a certain guy. I do think that the Chiefs in my opinion, on offense, it's obvious. They need to spend capital at bringing in an upgrade over to Marcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Michael Harmon, et cetera. And they tried to do that a little bit, right, with Josh Gordon, 
who looked like a shell of himself, was nowhere near that. And I think they well, tried to like, do that with two. He, he looked like he had put a shell on. Like that too <laughs> was fucking massive. But also in the offseason, you remember they offered Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. who said, I don't want to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll stay in Pittsburgh. Like they knew. I think it's not, we're not fucking uncovering source or stone here. Everyone knows that they want as many pass catchers as possible, but yeah. when you can't get it done, it shows up. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. And I think trying to get some pass rush, man. And, I think, and the thing is about the Chiefs, like they were, they had as good a shot as anybody. Like they were there. They were in the Super Bowl realm, which is kind of all you can ask for to, to expect to be this dominant juggernaut that rolls people every year on route to a Super Bowl is just unrealistic. So you, you don't have to make massive changes. Like I think this offseason is going to be about keeping it intact, keeping the ship as is with re-signing Orlando Brown, re-signing Tyron Matthew, re-signing Chavarius Ford. Like, I think that's going to be their priorities come this spring. But like I said, just that one piece to get over top to where I'd go wide receiver. Cause I don't think you're, you're going to, you're not going to see the off season you saw last year where they're wheeling, dealing, getting guys in trading first rounders. I, I don't think that's their draft, their plan of attack this year. To me, it is keep, like I said, keep it intact, right the ship, bring everyone back, and then one, well, one, one cherry on top, which is Will Fuller, MBS. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network had this tweet that I thought hits on a lot of what we're trying to discuss right now, and I think it's a good thing going into these AFC and NFC West game plans. Looking for teams, looking into the future, this is the checklist for most teams: elite QB, pass rushers galore multiple offensive playmakers, which is on what I was trying to say, and a serviceable offensive line, no tomato cans. Which, the fact that he's able to come out of that... Have no tomato cans. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he's able to come out of that even after that, like some people would say, you need to go get elite guards. No, you just need need an average offensive line, a serviceable offensive line, elite quarterback. And the pass rushes galore is another thing for the Chiefs, right? Like, they don't have that. They have Chris Jones, and that's pretty much it. Melvin Ingram played well this year, and they, you can, like you said, you can dump some more money yeah. into him. But, like, Chris, I'll tell you right now, Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram is not enough. Like, they need to go get some other pass rushers, too. If they are moving on from Frank Clark, I'm not saying go trade and sign one, but, like, you're going to need to invest that in the draft. You're going to need yeah. some fine pass rushing help. And something that he didn't mention in that tweet, which I do think is true, is, like, anything in the secondary. And, like, I do think you need competent secondary members to win but i think it's similar to the offensive line where it's a weak leak weak link unit you don't need four jalen ramsey's back there but you can't have obvious obvious tomato cans to use daniel jeremiah's reference in the secondary like i've never what is i don't know i don't know well looking at the los angeles rams like even jalen ramsey last night was getting beat a little bit you know what i mean getting beat by jamar chase and that stuff but the the more important thing was that aaron donald's feasting absolutely feasting. Jamar Chase runs wide open on that fourth and one late in the progression, but the only reason he's not able to get the ball is because obviously Aaron Donald's eating his lunch. So I think in the secondary, what's your approach there? Is it? Am I right to look at it as a, you need an average group across the board at off-ball linebacker, safety, and cornerback, or are you looking for elite pieces there? I mean, the beggars can't be choosers at this point. They, they want anyone that can you know, see the field. Like I think they're fine at linebacker. You got Willie Gay. You got Nick Bolton. You drafted both those guys. They look, look good down the stretch for you. It is just cornerback, which Jerry Snee, like I said, shines for Varys Ward, get, get new options in there. Obviously, Mike Hughes hitting for agency as well. So I, I think back end of the first round, you're looking corner edge for this team. Like That's where it's going to be. And corner can maybe have more of an immediate impact depending on who's on the board there for versus edge. Like I, I love the fit of Kyer Elam, the Florida corner in this defense with how he can press opposing wide receivers. But that that's where your sights have to be set. I believe if you're a chiefs, this coming into the draft. So tomato can sports idiom is a, 
in a combat sport is a fighter with poor diminished skills. So wow, so yeah, cans. the Bengals fucking chock full of tomato cans along the offensive line. Damn. Uh, no, I, I for the draft, I like where your head's at, edge or corner at the back end. Not receiver though. If they have like if they have an Olave, Olave down at the back end. Well, that's I, why I said to make the move free agency for the wide receiver. But yeah. So looking in free agency, I'm nervous that if that's you know the plan of action and PFF just dropped its top 200 free agents expected to enter free agency, and that's the important part. Devontae Adams is number one, but they're probably going to franchise tag him, and you're not going to get a chance. Then you have Chris Godwin at number three. Hard, I'd be, I'd be, it'd be wild to see Tampa Bay not also throw him a tag or find a way to retain him. Then you're getting all the way down to like the next best receiver, Mike Williams of Los Angeles, which could be another situation where they tag him. Like a lot of these free agents, and I think it's been a struggle in creating free agency content recently. It's like a lot of these guys are going to get retained, like with franchise tags, transition tags, all that shit. The next available receiver after Mike Williams on PFS rankings is Allen Robinson. You could probably see him leave Chicago, but if they're fucking interested in building around Justin Fields, they'll probably find a way to bring back him too. So like, it's going to be difficult to like go add this receiver in free agency. Not going to happen. Like your top four guys are probably going back to their teams. And if they don't, you obviously chase it there. I think they're more often going to find opportunity in, in the draft, right? I think mean, Chris Olave at the back end would be something I'm comfortable with if you don't like one of those pass rushers there or, you know, say the corner, like that outside cornerback cliff happens earlier than expected. Any final thoughts on the Chiefs? No. All right. Denver Broncos, tied for fourth. Obviously baking in the fact that they get Aaron Rodgers, right? Like they're tied for fourth according to DraftKings to win the AFC. With the fourth best, tied for fourth best odds. Yeah. Like a lot of people are expecting Aaron Rodgers to be a Denver Bronco in 2022. That's where the market is putting them. And their offseason resources rank, according to Argumento at PFF, third. They got the draft capital. They have a lot of open cap space. They have $38.8 million in cap space with some opportunities to cut and move some space around as well. A lot of free agents lost. Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, Bobby Massey, Melvin Gordon, Alexander Johnson, Teddy Bridgewater, Kareem Jackson, Joseph Jewell, all expected to enter free agency, which again, opens up more of that cap space. The number one thing on the Broncos list should be to go get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Go get one of them. Fact. This team is good enough. This team is good enough to make it happen. Obviously, Nathaniel Hackett is coming over as the head coach, uh, the office coordinator from the Green Bay Packers. If they go get Aaron Rodgers, which is going to cost them a lot, including their top 10 pick, this puts them in the top five in the AFC to winning the AFC with the Bills and the Chiefs. Yeah, this is a offseason where... You might want to push the chips to the end of the table. And now they obviously were in talks or tried to last year, it was all the reports, whatever. But you're not getting, you're, you're, you got the ninth overall pick in the first round. That's not netting you a guy who is going to take you to the Super Bowl next year. And then after that, you start to have to make changes and decisions in terms of contracts you're going to lay out. What, a, like elsewhere, money starts to have to get tight, whether it's, you know, re signing Bradley Chubb. Uh, and whatnot, other guys in this roster, the money starts to get higher. So, sure, you could you could use that ninth overall pick on a Malik Willis and, and try, but like you signed Nathaniel Hackett, the OC from the Packers, to be your head coach. Like the, the after talks all last season of training for Aaron Rodgers, like in no, it's definitely something that's floated across Rodgers's desk as well. Like I, I'm sure he knows of their interest and. In, you sure would have to be, and I'm guessing is open to it if he's open to playing outside of Green Bay, going to Denver with, like I said, all they have offensively, the pieces around him and the head coach now. So 
Yes, if you're making a move, that's what I would do. Two first-rounders, three first-rounders, whatever. I'm doing it if I'm the Denver Broncos. You have a roster that's capable of winning a Super Bowl. You don't have a quarterback that's close to capable of winning a Super Bowl. So I'll make that move if I'm them. And then you still have money is the thing. Yeah. You still, yeah, that's going to it's gonna hurt you in terms of draft resources. Maybe you're not going into draft thinking about how I improve this roster. But $38.8 is nothing to sneeze at in, in free agency in what they can spend. And yeah, maybe like half that gets taken up by Aaron Rodgers, but you still got two or so pieces you can add to this roster that I think offensive line is where I'd be looking. Obviously, Bobby Massey, right tackle, probably going to be your issue. And then defensive line is where I'd look for them as well. I also think that they should retain some of these guys, right? If they're able to get like Fuller back, Callahan back, maybe Alexander Johnson, I think that would be a priority, especially if they still, even when they make this trade for Aaron Rodgers, I think regardless, I've, you said, I think in that analysis, I would make the trade for Aaron Rodgers. I think a lot of people would, but if they aren't able to, right? I still think they should go after Russell Wilson or someone, like they have to go get a veteran quarterback yes. to win now because this roster is good enough to win now. Yeah, it's like You bring you in go. Nathaniel Hackett to give you that edge in this, what's going to be just an absurd fucking trade market for Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you go get Devontae Adams too. I don't know. I'd even <laughs> a package deal. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. Like I would think they'd want. What do you to. think the package is for Adams on tag? So that's pretend they franchise tag Adams and they have Aaron Rodgers. What is the realistic package? You can I only mean, trade. Adams. You can only trade picks three three years into the future. Yeah. And maybe three firsts. It's probably the starting point. I mean, three firsts. Adams three isn't worth that much because his contract's going to be like Adams himself is maybe worth a second in the in a tag and trade sort of deal, but. So I think you go first three firsts and, and two seconds, two and seconds, it gets it done. And it gets it done because that's like a big cap hit. Then you're kind of not signing any more guys, and you might even have to give back like a Jerry Judy in return or something oh, like true. that to get it done. But like I said, $38 million, it goes Aaron Rodgers, can't get him, and then it's Russell Wilson, and then shit, I'd even go Kirk Cousins. If I'm Derek Carr, Carr. I'd try Derek Carr too. I mean, your same division, you're not going to get a trade done for true. Derek Carr. But I'd even go to Kirk Cousins. I'd even say that's a big enough upgrade that we are in the mix immediately if we trade for what about jimmy garoppolo no <laughs> some, people, some people are rumoring the garoppolo to yeah. like the washington commanders is the, is the revitalization that they need no i think that's that's pretty obvious i'm excited i mean the denver broncos if you're a denver broncos fan yeah. your super bowl is coming up not like your actual super bowl but this offseason off is gonna be a fucking big. treat yeah. in terms of content and people throwing trades around and you potentially getting rogers and the, these jersey swaps coming down your way are gonna be pretty hot uh let's get to the Los Angeles Chargers. Before we do a little update, Quinn is back there recording the pod. Nine minutes ago, he tweeted, <laughs> I'm a firm believer that the worst day of the year is the first work day after Christmas slash New Year's break, but I'm going to add a caveat. The worst day of the year is the day after the Super Bowl when your team loses. Five to low. <laughs> Quinn, I'm sorry we came into the office. I'm sorry we came in we to record. We should have given him a day off. We should have given him a day off. We should have had Alyssa record it or Stone record it. I apologize. I'm apologizing. I should have reached out. Uh, I hope I hope the vibes get higher. Come on, get higher. All right, let's get to the charges. Offseason, they're right now ranked tied for seventh in the odds to win the AFC next year, which probably a lot of people would say is low compared to how many people love fucking Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley, etc. Their offseason resources ranked two is right behind the Denver Broncos. Broncos are third or and the Chargers are fourth. $56.3 million in available cap space with some cuts, potentially. I don't think they cut Brian Bulaga, but if they do, they could cut, they could save $10.8 million. There's a lot they could do. And the only notable free agents, really, 
that they'd lose. Mike Williams, I think, would be a bit of a hit. Chris Harris Jr., potentially a hit. Outside of that, like Linval Joseph, Kaiser White, Uchenna Nwosu, Jared Cook, these guys, you could let go of these guys, right, and, yeah. and move on and find upgrades elsewhere, et cetera. But I think losing Mike Williams would be a bit of a hit for this offense. What is their first step in getting better odds than tie for seventh, right? Being this like number two, number three team with the Bills and Chiefs to win the AFC. Yeah, I, I do think they'll re-sign Mike Williams or at least tag him to where you, you don't want, you don't need your offense, you don't need that core that was the strength of your team last year, taking any hits. You, you don't want to take any step backward in that regard, especially for Justin Herbert's development. Like ideally, you add another wide receiver to it. You sign Mike Williams and then you add someone else like in the draft, you know, Chris Olave, guy who makes a ton of sense there terms stylistically and where he wins as a receiver that is what i'm looking to do if i'm the la chargers so keep like i said keep those guys intact and then the move i'm making if i am them because everyone and their mother is mocking jordan davis the georgia defensive tackle them in the first round i am making sure that i'm not pigeonholing myself into a defense tackle in the first round like that is just not where you want to be as a franchise is kind of like where the Bengals were when they drafted billy price where it's such a big need that i have to go get it no, you have $56.3 million cap space. Go sign Akeem Hicks, Larry Ongjobi, Jerron Reed, BJ Hill. I said sign two DTs. Go sign two DTs and make it so that that is not – that you have a baseline level of competency. Ideally, it would be like, like I said, BJ Hill and Akeem Hicks. That would be – immediately your run defense is night and day from what it was last year. You at least have competency there. And immediately Jerry Tillery is playing 200 fewer snaps, which everyone can cheer about. So – Dude, they, I mean, there's a lot available in free Jerry Tillery would even be happy about that. Keem um, Hicks, Clayus Campbell, BJ yes. Hill. It's there's a, a lot there. Some talent as of right now, and a lot of guys who are not getting franchise tagged at that position. Florenzo so, Fotucasi, I think, is like, another guy. Yes, a lot of competent interior run defenders that you don't have to use a 17th overall pick on one. You know, you, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into one in the draft. You can swing a little bit stiffer of a bat once you get to draft time. So that's the moves I'm making initially. Now, obviously. You can go out and spend a little, a little more cash to even play with than just that, but that's my first move I'm making. Here's a take. Screw defensive tackle at 17. Go get Travis Jones of UConn in round two. In addition to signing two big DTs like Akeem Hicks and BJ Hill or yeah. Fatu Kasi, Clayus Campbell, don't just you know pigeonhole yourself, like you said, into Jordan Davis. I like Travis Jones in round two. The other thing I'm not worried about, but I think they need a receiver. Right? Like If you let Mike Williams go, you definitely need a receiver. But even if you bring him back on a tag or whatever... I think they need another guy. Like I, I, I like Josh Palmer. I liked Jared Cook. You know, Keenan Allen obviously get longer the tooth. Mike Williams has been up and down in his career. Go get someone who's like a legit, legit, you know, 10, 12 targets a guy, like a 12, 10, 12 targets a game type of guy. Yeah. I don't think they need a deep threat. They don't need this like specific tooled receiver. Like go get someone who can be legit. I, I, I don't hate receiver in the first round at seventeen if they like Chris Olave there or Garrett Wilson there. Or say Drake London falls because of the injury. Like go get. Another top ten, you know, top top tier talent that position to can you take the top off of this offense? I think that's that's another move I'd like to see them make. Las Vegas Raiders tied for twelfth and odds to win the AFC next year. Offseason resources rank at fourteenth according to PFF's you know ranking of draft resources, cap space, movable cap space, etc. Their cap space right now is twenty point five. Could cut Denzel Good. I don't think they do, but it would save four point two million dollars. The number one, their their big free agents, Casey Hayward. I think he's gone. I think he's as good as gone, especially with the defensive coordinator change. Marcus Mariota, I think is as good as gone. I think they're going to be teams that are willing to pay him to start. 
those are two notable free agents that they could lose. Um, what is your top top priority right now for the Raiders? You're going to hate this. You're going to hate my move to make if I'm the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm extending Derek Carr Boo. right now if I'm the Las Vegas Raiders. I get that this is last year's deal and that you have had the take a zillion times that you're not winning with Derek Carr. But to me, Derek Carr is going to have a great year this upcoming year. I think he has a perfect fit for Josh McDaniel's offense. I think they have the personnel in Hunter Renfro and, gosh, I'm blanking on the tight end's name right now off the top of my head. Um, Garen Waller. Garen Waller. You have the personnel that literally mirrors what the Patriots had when they were elite, where it's Rob Gronkowski and... And Tom Brady. Julian Edelman. I'm just saying. And Tom Brady. Okay, I'm saying that mirrors the... Like, you have the guys to run that offense, though. Derek Carr can run that offense. That is like where that is where he wins. That's like literally the offense that's built for him as far as NFL offenses go. So, yes, he's not Tom Brady, but I do think he's going to succeed in Las Vegas under Josh Daniels. And at that point, the price only goes up. And so I think extend him, keep that cornerstone, keep that baseline of competency, and hope that you have competency other, where, other areas on this front office in terms of decision-making and roster building from there. Again, it's going to be a reset kind of year. But to me, I think you keep Derek Carr, like I said, three, four-year extension here to transition from a kind of rebuild here that you're going to have to do and you're going to have to find other avenues of getting talent on this roster. Don't think you want to be major players in free agency. I don't think you want to go out and spend big bucks right away to get yourself back there. But I do think you want Derek Carr as the building block to then attract other pieces here and to just... I don't think you want to completely bottom out like you've been advocating for. And that's fine. And if you do that, I just hope you know that you're just going to have the same peak as the Minnesota Vikings have had for the last you know few years that they've had Kirk Cousins. Like they've built around him and they've done a good job and they're still not going to go deep in the postseason. Which like, I guess if you want to be almost there, that is the, the quickest way to doing it. Being- is Derek Carr that much worse than Matt Stafford? Yes. Yes, he's that much worse. Does Derek Carr make any of the throws that Matthew Stafford makes? He's like significantly less confident. That's like his whole thing. He's not nearly as confident. Not nearly. He hasn't been that confident his entire fucking career. I mean, I'm just... And plus, like, you extend Derek Carr. How much are you paying Derek Carr? Are you paying him as much as you pay Kirk? Are you paying him over 30 mil? Probably. I'm saying he's played with awful defenses for... Kind of like Matt Stafford did in Detroit, like, for his entire career. I agree. And And I, I just don't think... Is that changing? By the time he turns 40, he's like 33 years old. He's 30. He's 30. And, it, and then you extend yeah, him. Eight years left of useful shelf life as far as NFL quarterbacks. And go. they're going to put together a bunch of fucking useful seasons. I can't wait. I can't wait for the useful seasons you see with Derek Carr. I'm just saying that I think it's the right way to go about it because you could, you're just not, you're not going to be able to, like, you're really putting yourself at risk of. Not not finding a quarterback for the next decade. I think you don't extend Derek Carr. Okay. You give it another year. And if he plays well in this system that he's supposed to play well in, and everyone's like, he's going to have a really good season, then fucking pay him. It's better to wait than to be first. Because if he isn't that good, and you still continue to see the same stuff with Derek Carr, you're able to move on from him. Don't extend him until he proves it into this new system. He's like sixth system in like eight years. And then use the money that you're not spending on Derek Carr to try and build up the offense. The defense can be the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL next year. You're not going to the playoffs. You're not going deep in the playoffs. Who cares? But continue to like 
bury the excuses for this offense. Go get another receiver. Go get two more receivers. Build up the offensive line. Add whatever you need to go into the season and say, hey, Derek Carr, this is where you should win. And if he's not good or if he's not like top eight, top six type of play, then don't pay him all this money to be like, because I guarantee you he's going to ask more money than what Jared Goff makes. Jared Goff makes $34 million a year. You're going to give him like 35 mil, and then then what? The defense is still bad? I mean, I, I don't know, man. I think you can't extend Derek Carr right now. You have to wait. I'm not saying cut him, but if someone gives you two first-round picks for him, you freaking trade him. I don't think that would be it either, but you saw Carson Wentz get something similar. First and a second is what it was. Um, I think Derek Carr, don't extend him. Wait until he shows that he can be good in this new offense that he's supposed to be good in and throw every single penny you have, 14th ranked in offensive offseason resources, at trying to build up the offense around him. Who cares if the defense stinks? You still don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. No one does. It's why he's still on the team. All right, moving off that and going into the NFC West, before we do, remember that this podcast is a proud sponsor of this podcast is Western Southern. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you set rest assured on game day, team up to understand the needs, and address goals with game with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right. Starting with the Rams, who rank first, not tied for first, first in odds to win the NFC next year. Not the Bucks. Not the Packers, the Rams. Their offseason resources rank is 32nd. Don't have a lot of draft picks. They don't have a lot of draft capital or, 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 or cap space. They're minus 14.1 million in cap space with a lot of pending free agents. Yeah. Von Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., two guys that if they want to remain first and win in the NFC, I think have, they, they probably need to bring back or they're going to have to find some solutions that aren't Ben Skoranek. Then after that, like even some death pieces. DA Williams, Darius Williams started for this team at outside quarterback. Some offensive line depth. Brian Allen, Austin Corbett, Sony Michelle, running back depth. Like you are Joseph Nopum started games for them with Andrew Whitworth. Like this is a team similar, in my opinion, to the Bucs, right? When the Bucs won the Super Bowl, everyone went into that free agency. It was like, there's no way they can bring them all back. Yeah. Well, it was Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Dom Kong Sue. There's no way they bring all these guys back. They're not going to be able to run it back. If the Rams perform some legitimate cap wizardry, and they're able to bring back Avon and Odo Beckham Jr., maybe Darius Williams. I think you can start, you know, really printing the run it back t shirts for the Los Angeles Rams. But if they have to replace a lot of those key positions, I think they're going to be kind of screwed. And the other piece of the Odo Beckham Jr. stuff is like, he's hurt. He tore his ACL. Like, when do you even get him back? Are you even willing to sign him back? Do you need to go elsewhere at that position? I too? mean, you got Robert Woods coming back. So I oh, think they'll be fine. They're not. I, I imagine Odell is probably not going to. I mean, with torn ACL, that's going to be a tough sell to anyone this offseason, sadly. For him, the the one that's like, if they could figure out a way to get back, you kind of move heaven and earth to do so. Is Von Miller a different animal with Von Miller and Aaron Donald on that defensive line? That that is a come playoff time. You could just shit. You could have him red shirt all season and come playoff time, let him rip. Like the, that that was the difference maker for them. A true impact that you rarely see via midseason trade, via midseason addition. That's the guy I'm bringing back. They bring him back. They're still they they justify that first ranking in terms of like odds to win the NFC. But there's no like I said 32nd in offseason resource. There's no like that. This was it. It's what we talked about. They went all in for this year. This was it. There's they can run it back ish, but you're not you're not like getting there in a clean manner <laughs> to try to yeah. run this all back like you're probably going to run into more injuries next year there's just things aren't going to be as nice 
likely as they were this past season, and it's going to take a lot of cap magic to do so. But I think that's your, like I said, the move to make is that I wrote here is go live it up. Go enjoy the fact that you just fucking went all in and won a Super Bowl because that was kind of that was probably it for you. That now that you very well could run it back next year. Like things could go well, bounce your way again next year. But like you won the Super Bowl as four seed, you weren't this dominant juggernaut. Like you weren't that far ahead of everyone else that one bounce, one at whatever next season. Chances of them really winning it are still low, very low again next year. But go live it up. With that being said, there's there's no real there's, there's not a lot of work to do. You don't have a lot of picks. You don't have a lot of cap space. You're not going to be too active. So go enjoy yourself. I think they're still going to retry, try and retain a lot of these guys, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they like like you said moved heaven and earth to try and retain Von Miller despite having minus fourteen point one million dollars in cap space. But with that being said, you're obviously kind of hinting at maybe they shouldn't be the favorite to win the NFC. You know, they're plus 450 right now. The second place team there is the Niners, who we'll talk about soon at plus 550. Packers at plus 650. Cowboys at plus 650. And then every other team is like plus 1100 or worse. Like, is a better bet to win the NFC right now? I'm not advocating people betting futures literally the day after the Super Bowl, but Cowboys at plus 650. Maybe after that, like, I don't know. Like, is there a better bet there? I, I kind of like Cow. We don't know if Green Bay is going to have Aaron Rodgers. San Francisco, I hate. You don't know if they're going to have Jimmy G. There might be some opportunity. Like should be good, but they like fall now you have the Kyler Murray stuff, right? Yeah, like Kyler Murray, not be, I, who knows? That's why it's kind of like when I first the saw NFC it, like, is first. just a bunch of bad teams, but a bunch of not bad teams, but teams all going the wrong direction. Like Rams aren't improving this offseason, Packers aren't improving this offseason, Bucks for sure aren't improving this offseason, Cowboys will have cap casualties that we'll talk about, likely aren't like improving this offseason. The teams that are improving. Maybe the 49ers, if Trey Lance becomes good. Maybe, shit, like maybe the Eagles, they'll have a lot of draft capital, depending on what they do in terms of the quarterback position, could be improving. But there's not a lot of teams might that be were good last year and then are also pointing up arrow-wise. Might be a prime market to bet right now because there's a lot of volatility. I don't know. Like maybe Philadelphia Eagles plus 1,600 is worth it because there's yeah. not – I mean, I, I like the Cowboys though because there's at least some consistency at quarterback there guaranteed. Rams there is too. And maybe the Rams ultimately mm-hmm. are the best bet because Matthew Stafford's maybe the best quarterback there. But who knows? Who knows? A lot of volatility in the NFC. Speaking of which, let's go ahead and get to the Niners. Niners are the second-ranked team in odds to win the NFC, despite ranking not 32nd like the Rams, but 31st. In offseason resources rank a lot of that because they traded multiple draft picks to go go get Trey Lance. They also have minus $4.5 million in cap space, some movable cap space. If they cut uh, Samson Abukam, it'll save $6.5 million. They could probably make some other movement elsewhere, but... This team is also another one that can't like make any aggressive, aggressive plays to improve its team. Well... The big elephant in the room is they're not going to cut Jimmy G, but he is due $26.9 million next year is his cap hit. And that is included in that negative $4.5 million. So they likely trade him. I would They have to almost. For, I don't even think they ha- likely. Yeah. They, they borderline have to. They're going to trade him. So they're going to get that $25 million in space freed up. So they'll have something to work with. Now, what should they do with it? I, I'm of the opinion that you want – like they have a lot of guys who could – make an impact next year, hitting for agency. These guys like Lakin Tomlinson at guard, DJ Jones at DT, Jason Barrett at cornerback, Maurice Hurst at defense tackle, Arden Key at edge, Kwaski Tart at safety, who are like, none of those guys is going to command a massive deal. All kind of range in the mid-tier of deals at their respective position, all kind of those mid-tier players, like less than 
$10 million a year pretty comfortably. I'm of the opinion that you try to get as many of those guys back as possible. And because guys like Jason Barrett can play at a high level, Arden Key is ascending. He looked like a different dude down the stretch last year than he did at any point in his career. Maurice Hurst hurt this past season, a guy who we liked a lot and they raved about uh, the D-line coach there at 49ers, talked about before he did get hurt that they wanted. So that's my take on the sort of moves to make for the 49ers because this was a damn good team that just was a Jimmy G versus Trey Lance away from the Super Bowl. It flat out was. Like they were a better quarterback and they are the Super Bowl champions. And you're hoping that Trey Lance, you like you made the move right. You made the big splash. Now keep it intact to try to win it next year. Quinn, I just dropped something in tailgate that I will reference here soon. I'm going to need you to put it on screen because it is fucking hilarious. But to comment on the 49ers situation, they are all in. You know, you talk about the Rams all in when they grabbed Von Miller and and uh, made the trade for Oakham Jr. They are all in on Trey Lance. Like Trey Lance, because there's no, I'll say it right now, there's no way, fucking, this could be on old takes exposed. There's no way Jimmy G is the quarterback of San Francisco 49ers in 2022, 2023. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah. He's too much against the cap. Okay, I'm going to caveat it. Unless they restructure his deal, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think they're going to restructure his deal and then make him the starter after literally trading the entire future for Trey Lance. I think there's going to be a trade partner. Yeah, I would say at, at that and, number, someone's going to give up like a third. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think it's going to be like right third, maybe a third and a conditional third, right? If he takes yeah. you to the playoffs, it's a second or something like that. I just don't see Jimmy Garoppolo playing for the San Francisco 49ers, knowing the cap situation and knowing that, like, how is Kyle Shanahan going to even? show up to a meeting with ownership and say like, yeah, I know we wanted to trade all that for Trey Lance, but I think I'm going to go Jimmy G one more year. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? What's the plan? What's your long-term plan? You made us trade all this shit for Trey Lance. And now you're saying Jimmy G another year. You're dumb. We could have had all these draft picks and all this cap space to go improve this team and go win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So I don't think Trey Lance, I don't think Kyle Shanahan could effectively communicate that he wants to go with Jimmy G again. I just don't like, I think it would, it would come off foolish. So at that point you need to be adding pieces with the little capital, little space that you have to to try and fit Trey Lance into a situation where he can have success. And like that's way easier said than done. You know, more than half the league is trying to help a young quarterback on a rookie contract be successful. <laughs> it's really the name of the game right now. So I'm worried about the San Francisco 49ers. A bet I would not make is them winning the NFC with the second best odds. I would not make that bet. I don't know. I'm not too worried. I because shit, they made the NFC championship game with bad quarterback play. So that's why I'm not too worried. It's like the bar the bar for Trey Lance is low. And, and yeah, he didn't clear that bar whatever as a rookie, but he's a rookie. And he was 20 years old when he was drafted. This guy's going to be different in year two. Everyone's different in year two. Even if he's just Jalen Hurts in year two. And that's, even, that's a low bar itself. This is a team that's as good as they were this past year. So I'm not as worried as you are. I, I, I was about to say I like them as a bet better bet with the second best odds than the Rams to repeat. They, yeah, to, I do to too. I don't NFC think the Rams chance. bet's a good one, but I would not be betting the San Francisco 49ers to win the NFC when we don't even know what Trey Lance is going to be. I'm out on that. I'm out All on right. that. Now, the thing I want to pull up, Quinn has it up now, the Los Angeles freaking Rams, as of like five minutes ago, are giving away for their Super Bowl win a free Jumbo Jack with the purchase of a large string. That is embarrassing. Nice. I'd rather not take that sponsorship money then tell the people of Los Angeles, one of the best food cities of the world, that on lunch is on us, a free fucking Jumbo Jack. Dude, Jumbo Jacks are hot. No, they're not. Are you kidding me? What's the last time you had a Jumbo Jack? What's the last time you had a Jumbo Jack? There's a Jack in the Box uh, in Springfield near me. I'd go every time I went. You're, you're, so you're taking they advantage of that They had good salads deal. at Jack in the Box, too. 
You're taking advantage of that deal. As far as, uh, if you're in LA. Well, if I'm in LA, yeah. You're going to take a 40 minute Uber no. to a jumbo jack. I'm not Ubering anywhere. I'm not even in LA. But if I live down the street from a jack in the box, I'm getting jack in the box. Okay, live down the street, got, maybe. But it's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Free food. Partner for their someone fans. good. Partner someone with better food. You won the mm. fucking Super Bowl. Sorry, you couldn't get a steakhouse to give free steaks to everyone. AJ. I'm not saying like steakhouse. You're... Somewhere nicer, even like a nicer tiered fast food restaurant. I think you're hating on Jumbo. Look guys. at that. That's gross. It's a good looking burger. If you're listening on podcasts, I apologize. But on YouTube, look at that burger. That is bad. Mm. And it's free. Even better. With a large drink. Anyway, off of that, on to the Arizona Cardinals, who have the six best odds, despite the Kyler Murray insanity going on right now. Have you seen some of the tweets about Kyler Murray? What do we got? Kyler Murray, according to some source, and I'm trying to find the tweet, according to Chuck Harris, who is a staff writer for cardswire.usatoday.org, who said, just heard on 98.7. Okay, so this isn't his report. He was hearing on another probably Arizona radio station. Kyler Murray is known to sit in his locker and call his girlfriend or put his earbuds in on ha- at halftime and isolate himself from the team. He said, if this is true, it further magnifies a complete failure of the entire organization from top down. <laughs> oh my gosh. If Kyler Murray isolates himself and calls, calls his girlfriend during halftime, this is a complete failure of the entire organization from top down. Mm. Refuse. One, if that report's true, is it ideal? Maybe not. But honestly, if you're locking yourself in one way or the other, figure out. Is it a complete failure from the organization top down? That's insane. Oh, Chris Mortensen did say this. Murray is described as self-centered, immature, and finger pointer per sources. And then there was a Cardinals. I think that's a Cardinals source though, right? That's like someone from the Cardinals who's trying to gain leverage in this contract negotiation or whatever. It's all kind of sticky and gross. I don't Ky- know if this is a contract negotiation now. This seems like a he's actually upset at the organization. And yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with contract. And I think the organization is now could... spitting back at him and putting this stuff out in the media to kind of give him less leverage. Because right now, everyone and their mother's like, before this, everyone was like, oh man, pay Kyler Murray every dollar. He's the only reason this Cardinals team is relevant. Then this Cardinals source go leaks out that he's immature and listen, talks to his girlfriend at halftime. Now people are like, wait a second, do we even want to be with Kyler Murray? The team's just trying to gain leverage back. It's definitely but a contract thing. Year, is it though? It's year three. Like they can just say, we're so early in the pro- like. They got two more years of control. I I get maybe wanting. No, Kyler Murray wants one for sure. Kyler Murray but, wants an extension. But this seems this seems more than that, in my opinion. This seems more than posturing for an extension. This seems like he's actually upset at the organization. He is. He is. There's been reports of that too. He's posturing for a contract extension. He's upset with the embarrassing losses in the clutch time, not, not actually getting deep in the postseason. And now I think the organization is spitting back at him through the sources that they have. It's like, wait a second. How about this, Kyler? You're fucking immature, and you talk to your girlfriend at halftime. We're getting these things out now. How do you feel about that? I think it's all just a dirty, dirty game. Yeah, yeah. You hate to see it, which, again, get back to the Cardinals' offseason game plan. I think move to make number one, figure it out with Kyler Murray. I don't know what you have to do to salvage that relationship or if it's salvageable, but like you, if the, the Cardinals' closest path to a Super Bowl, fun fact, is keeping Kyler Murray. You need him. You need him a part of this offense. You and need him a part of this team. And it's period. literally the next two years when he's not costing you that much. Yeah. In this rookie contract window, exactly. So guaranteed that the Kyler Murray saga is solved and he's starting for this Arizona Cardinals team. What moves are you making? They have the 25th ranked offseason resources, according to PFF, minus about a million dollars in cap space with needs everywhere. Potential for agents lost, Chandler Jones, Christian Kirk, Zach Ertz, 
uh, AJ Green, Chase Edmonds, a lot of te- a lot of players that they could lose. Some cuts that they could make. DJ Humphreys would save them 15 mil. They probably need him though. Justin Pugh would save them about 10 mil. Devin Kennard and Jordan Hicks could save them about 10 mil combined. They could probably make some moves there. But what are the moves they're making? Guaranteed that. Let's just assume Kyler Murray is suiting up for the Red Sea next year. Yeah, this is. You know, this comes back to it. I don't want to like keep going back to this because we do a lot and. Steve Kime, the fact that they're 25th in offseason resources rank, that they are over the cap right now and have a roster with as many holes as they do is just cat malpractice. Like, and the fact that like you're losing your probably second best player after Kyler Murray, okay, third best player after Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, and Chandler Jones, who could very easily walk out that door and you never see that dude again. Like, you, they just are spending money in a, poor fashion because as we've said the cheap number one overall pick the where where we just talked about the chargers and how much cap space they have and the Bengals we've talked about and how they're top five in offseason resources like the teams that have the number one overall that have that first round quarterback playing well have this holy grail of roster building where they can spend wildly elsewhere well the cardinals kind of spent that wildly elsewhere and have not a lot to show for it and have like i said a lot of holes on this roster to show for it with cornerback offensive line defensive tackle and a wide receiver too all his massive needs right now so i think what to do with that i obviously try to trim that cap space where you can with some of the guys you mentioned justin Pugh, devon Kennard, jordan hicks use that to pay for some competency at quarterback uh, cornerback excuse me i would love for them to go out and get like a casey hayward who's not going to cost much he's 33 but that dude played like a top 10 cornerback this past year for the raiders one healthy go pay for yeah, maybe it's a stopgap sort of deal, but this is your window again. Like this is where you should be getting into that Super Bowl if Kyler Murray Super Bowl conversation if Kyler Murray has the talent around him. I think that's where you go in free agency, and then come draft time with that first round pick, you go and get a wide receiver. You're in position to be able to draft one in the first round. I think go and get yourself a real wide receiver at pick 23, whether it's Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burke. Someone's going to be there that is going to be an upgrade over not only Christian Kirk, but Antoine Wesley at the very least. So that's my No plan. more Antoine Wesley slander, okay? He was solid for them. No, that's I agree. I fucking lie. I agree with you. I mean, it comes back to what we first started when we were talking about the Daniel Jeremiah stuff. You need multiple offensive playmakers. The Cardinals have one, like one. Zach Ertz isn't it. Wesley, you know, Wesley isn't it? Like, you need multiple. You need other guys. And Rondell Moore, I don't Rondell think he's great. Even... But he's not, he was always the slot. Like, he was always a pure slot, hybrid, whatever, not your actual outside wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. On to the Seattle Seahawks, and that'll conclude the AFC and NFC West free agency offseason game plan draft extravaganza. Seahawks have the seventh best odds to win the NFC next year. No one knows what's going to happen with Russell Wilson. That seems very high. Yeah, it's very high. Talking to Doug Hyde, who's a reporter here at PFF, he feels there's a 51% chance. I asked him the percentage chance. 51% chance that Russell Wilson is not a Seattle Seahawk in 2022. Yeah. He feels pretty strongly that that is the more favorable outcome, obviously. They rank 21st in offseason resources rank. They have $36.6 million in cap space with some cuts, potentially. Ugo Amadi, which I don't think mm-hmm. is enough, but could save them $2.5 million if they cut him. Some potential for agents. Dwayne Brown, the offensive tackle, will be a massive loss. Quandre Drake's the safety. DJ Reed, Gerald Everett, among others. Rashad Penny is a free agent. They could lose him. W- let's start there here. What do they do with Russell Wilson? What are you doing if you're the GM of the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson? I'm trading Russell Wilson. I am not good enough 
to not only win now, as we saw this year, when admittedly Russell Wilson wasn't playing his best at the end of the season, but like you're bad enough and don't have as enough resources that you're two or three years from legitimately getting back into the mix. At that point, Russ is going to be in his late thirties. No, no telling how his game will age with how reliant he is as a scrambler in playing outside the pocket over the course of his career. So those are big TBDs that if I can get a nice sweetheart trade, as I propose from the Eagles, Oh, my trade, a sweetheart trade? Yeah, something that's going to give me a lot in return. I'm doing it because this, like I said, you don't have you don't have your first round pick this year because of the Jamal Adams trade. You don't have a, enough cap space to really make a massive overhaul of this roster, especially with the guys you're losing and the positions they play, like a starting corner, a starting tackle, could be gone out the door, starting safety, to where... If someone offers me a lot for Russell Wilson, I'm willing to do it. And especially with all the smoke and whatever that's been between him and the organization and I, does he even want to be there, I'm making that move. I think a team will offer a lot, right? Like, yeah. what do you think the yeah. market is? I think it's multiple first-round picks. I think so, too. I think multiple first-round picks allows you to reset that position for a roster that's – like, you compare them to the Broncos, right? Mm-hmm. Broncos are not – the Broncos have an objectively better roster than what Seattle has right now. Not even close. It's not even close. With yeah. Seattle Seahawks, Massive, yeah. they have the quarterback, but the roster is is – a is not in a place to compete for a Super Bowl. I think you move on from him, really reset there. Now, the thing with resetting, though, and the elephant in the room is just how, what do you do with Pete Carroll? Like, Pete Carroll, how many more That's years? The problem. Does, how many more years does Pete Carroll have? Yeah. Not not like, I'm not saying he's going to die. I'm saying he's old as shit, though. He's old as shit. He kind of did just NFL co- Is he not the oldest head coach? He's the oldest head coach in the NFL, I believe. Or Belichick or him, one of them. Oldest but. head coach in the NFL is Bruce Arians, actually. No, Pete Carroll, 70. Pete Carroll at 70 years old. Okay. There's no way. There's no way he coaches like five more years. Yeah. He's probably got a couple more years left. And if you move on from Russell Wilson, do you move on from Pete Carroll? Does Pete Carroll retire this offseason? That could be kind of a bombshell. If they move on from Russell Wilson, I would not be surprised if Carroll's like, uh, he, he has to, right? I mean, I would, I would don't think he at this but age would want to But that would put him such behind him. the eight ball and getting a new head coach. I don't know if he's going to do that. That almost puts me in this position where I don't think they are going to trade Russell Wilson. They would have already announced some of that, and Carroll would have already retired because they're on the outside looking in at a new head coach. Yeah, yeah. Man, I so. don't know. Seattle will be another fun team to follow. I think I'm with you in that they trade him, but honestly, what do you? Maybe Pete Carroll is just there for the year one of the rebuild. They advocate that he doesn't draft a quarterback. They wait till 2023. They become this like favorite to win, maybe get the number one overall pick next year. Who knows? Should be but, a wild one. But, but just looking at this roster, it's like what building blocks do you have at this point to really? hang your hat on as a team. You, you have Jamal Adams. That's your you know, building block. You broke the bank for him, whatever. You're, you're tied with him. Bobby Wagner's on his last legs. It's like you already saw a downturn in his play this past year. I would say Tyler Lockett is getting up there to where you're not relying on him for four or five years down the road. DK Metcalf is probably your only other one besides Jamal Adams. Those are your two building blocks. You need a lot of help and a lot of valuable positions to where it's just, it's not going to get like you trade Russell Wilson. You are in the mix for the number one overall pick next year. And that's probably a good thing. That's probably where you want to be if you're the Seattle Seahawks right now, because you're kicking the can hard if you keep Russell Wilson for another year. Cause there's no, like I said, 21st and off season resource rank. There's no drastically improving what needs to be improved on this roster by next season. 
brutal if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan. I think a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans would have much rather you said keep Russ, try out one more year with the 70-year-old head coach and see if you can make it work. I just don't think that will happen. Like, I, In addition to like, I don't think that's what the outcome will be, I also don't think even if you did everything right this offseason with the 21st ranked offseason resources ranked according to PFF, I don't think it's enough to get the Super Bowl. I don't think it's enough. Even in a week NFC where we talk about the Rams were kind of in flux with losing Von Miller potentially and others as well. San Francisco 49ers have no idea what Trey Lance will be. Aaron Rodgers could be on his way to the AFC. I still don't think it's enough for the Seattle Seahawks to come out of this, even with Russell Wilson as this kind of juggernaut. But again, we will see how it unfolds. One more ad read before we get to the fun to read segment. Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. It's actually today. And our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. It's V-Day. It's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 for Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make sure every... Day is just a little more special. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your Valentine's Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Look at that. Quinn pulling up on the YouTube here. The performance package 4.0 is 120 bucks, and we're telling you you can get it for 20% off? Promo code PFF? Let's go. Let's go. You're telling me you don't want the ball toner and the ball deodorant? Is that a nose trimmer too? Is that for your asshole? What is that? I've been using that for my asshole. It's been working. <laughs> I mean, whatever gets the job done, but uh, it's both. Can you zoom in on that, Quinn? That little thing in the middle there? That one next to the shaver? Or just highlight it with your cursor? I, I, I mean, I guess I kind of need that. Or you can click on the image to the left. See the image to the left? A little, yeah, yeah. One more down. Natured to a... Uh, that, I think, needs to go in your butt. That's probably... I mean, the whole size-wise, they're probably not too dissimilar. No. Um could probably it's called it the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer that's ear. the weed whacker yeah. for your ear and nose okay. but i'll tell you right now i've been using it on my butt and it's been clean you think your v-day date's telling you what wow great set of balls you have there i use the weed whacker they're like great set of asshole yeah on there. great pair <laughs> get 20 percent off and free shipping with code pff at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code pff join cupid and shoot your arrow with manscaped this valentine's day wow the weed whacker has been going to fucking work uh don't go Make sure if you use the weed whacker in certain areas, don't. It's not versatile, right? You don't want to be going new, yeah. nose and ear with that piece. Of the puzz need two to go. <laughs> All right, fun to read. We have a loaded fun to read. A lot of good stuff on this one today. Make sure if you aren't listening on YouTube or. You should go check out the YouTube version of the fun to read segment. It's always fun. Quinn does a great job of putting all the tweets up there. Number one, I don't want him to play. Are you going to have him play this entire video? Yeah, let's see the entire video. It's All right, incredible. Quinn, play the entire video. Number one is from Chase Snyder. It is Coach O, or formerly known as Coach O. It's just O now. Just O now. With some of the wildest shit ever on his Adrian Peterson recruiting story. Who broke your heart? Is there one that stands out? Oh, Adrian Peterson. Oh. Man, I loved him. I loved Adrian. Oklahoma better offered a better package no, to him. It, it, this this true story. We go, we go down to see Adrian, me and Pete. And uh, his mother ran track at, I think it was at Houston, wonderful lady. And Adrian and I had a great relationship. He loved Pete Carroll, but I felt like he and I were very tight. One time he says, Coach, uh, I went to this school. He says, Coach, I want you to follow me. I couldn't, I couldn't drive with him. We went 30 miles. I said, I don't know where we're going. We stopped at this little country store, and he bought a gingerbread cookie. I couldn't buy it for him for supper. 
And then we went to a basketball game. And we sat in the, sat in the, in the gym, and I said, what are we doing? He said, you see that guard right there? I got to play him next week. Coach, come and scout him. How about that? <laughs> then he, I said, well, Ethan, what is the key to getting you here at USC? He says, Coach, well, Bob Stoops, my dad is incarcerated. Bob Stoops won't see him. Well, me and Pete Carroll tried to go get him. And to go see him, they wouldn't let us in. But Adrian said, Coach, my dad is be able to watch my games where he's at. Well, if I go to Oklahoma, I tried to get the guy transferred to Los Angeles. <laughs> Wait, you Please. tried to get Adrian's dad? Daddy. <laughs> yeah, I tried. <laughs> How does that happen? Uh, I competed. <laughs> I competed. Couldn't get it done, but I competed. Well, what the first reaction I had in that video was think of all the thousands of recruiting stories that are like as absurd yeah, or more absurd don't get than to that. Hear. Yeah. That Sad. also Dan Patrick getting all that on his show, all sponsored by Mercedes Benz in the right corner. Fuck you. That is a sick ass video, a sick ass clip from an interview with a close friend of the show. He fist bumped us both. He looked like he recognized you. Coach O was a big friend, fan of ours at the senior bowl, but still that story is absurd. Patrick is a king interviewer. He's as good as it gets. Yeah. In the game. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, the thing that I loved about that was that he ends it with the compete, just like so coach speak as if he's just, you know, him doing Oklahoma drill, just got to compete is, is what he is. His justification or not justification is his, how he explains trying to get someone's dad moved to a different prison. <laughs> I love it personally. Like some people will frown on that kind of, that was, that oh, is exactly what I want. If I was a coach yeah. in college and that recruiters are asking for the type of energy I'm looking for, it's that. Yeah. I want you fucking deep. I want you making plays on his dad in prison or anyone in prison. He's got a best friend in prison. Make a play, make yeah. a play. You know, we're LSU. You know, that's what I'm saying. If you're coaching at some big ass program and you got some pull, you got some, like, go make a play. I think that's that's the move. That's how you assemble one of the greatest college football teams of all time. Yes, yes. It it's, you got to be in the trenches, dude. Yeah. You got to be. It's not as simple as like, oh, give him ten thousand to play here. Like you, people think that's the extent of the dirt. J John Harbaugh, am I right? It's Jim. No, Jim Harbaugh slept at a kicker's house to try and get him to commit to Michigan. You have that other story. I was talking to Fleck. Fleck flew out Daniel, Daniel Falele's mom. Yeah. And no other team flew out his mom. Every he flew out his mom, helped get some of his teammates on his walk-ons. Like he did some like he, this is the shit you have to do. You have to make wild plays to go get these players. Well, the we didn't even talk about it. How he got Joe Burrow in the first place, or one of the bigger reasons why he got Joe Burrow was he told Joe's brother to grow a pair <laughs> and call his brother and tell him to go to LSU. Oh. He basically just Alfred, Joe Burrow's brother. Just told him to grow a pair and call his brother and tell him to go to LSU. I mean, I think I think Coach Oak could alpha alpha anyone. Yeah, I mean, he alpha the fuck out of me on the sidelines. He did. He fist bumped you. Came up and like took me well by surprise. I had no clue what to say. All right, more fun to read. So we can skip over the the booger tweet that I highlighted the sack seventy times one. Let's get to the Jared Evans one, which is a clip of Snoop Dogg preparing for the halftime show the only way he knows best. This is incredible. This is incredible. The fact that we got this on camera is just fantastic. This not surprised. Like, this one's like not. Why does he have to hide it? He's in California. I, get, I mean, I get probably why he has to hide smoking weed before his performance, but like. Yeah, that's why. This one's we, not. This one, you. Still great. You assume this one would have happened. Like, yeah. you, in your head, you're like, yeah, okay. You knew. Okay, here's the thing. I know. You knew he was high. You didn't know he was that up to the minute with it. Like, making sure he was as high as it gets. 
I Snoop Dogg doesn't do that. any performance not high, but he's literally like, okay, we're about three, two. Yeah. Well, all right, we're back. We're live. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's just, you know, Snoop to a T. Again, I just assumed that was going to happen. Should we get to, um, say off the halftime show? <laughs> Should we get to, uh, oh, yes. Um, Sam's tweet, or I don't know if we had it queued up. Or no, is that Save Your Likes? Should we keep it for the Save Your Likes? Oh, let's keep it for the Save Your Likes. All right, all right, all right. All right. Next one for my sports update, which this is a combo deal. Eli Apple getting absolutely crucified on the timeline. Michael Thomas comes at him, Eli going to Eli after he gives up the game-winning touchdown. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, that's a big apple to eat, obviously hinting at Eli Apple. Then Nicole Hardman comes out. It's cool, big bro. You might get one of these one day, but in the meantime, just go bet, go get better at your craft. Oh my goodness. Michael Hardman, that's absolutely toasty. I mean, Eli Apple was everyone's enemy after he gave up that TD. Oh, I mean, you can't go scorched earth prior to winning a Super Bowl. Acting like a divisional round win is your Super Bowl and telling every fan base that's ever hated on you, rightfully so, may I add, you were not good for any of those teams. So... You can't go scorched earth on all those fan bases and then cry when it gets back. To no, you. I agree. Because it was always going to get Eli back Apple to was crying. I mean, Eli it Apple, was. it was just, just yeah, desserts. To, to, it wasn't. But I, you can't, I don't feel bad for the guy one bit. I, those tweets cracked me up. And this reminded me, I went back and looked up the anonymous scout quotes. He had one of the best anonymous scout quotes of all time about him. Bob McGinn of the formula of the Journal Sentinel who has pulled all the anonymous scout quotes for years that are all fantastic. This was the quote he said from an anonymous scout about Eli Apple coming out. I worry about him because of off field, off the field issues. The kid has no life skills at all. Can't cook just a baby. He's not a first round for me. He scares me to death. And it's like one of those where as an out at the time, everyone's like, well, what the fuck is that? That's a ridiculous statement, whatever. Dude was kind of right. <laughs> Dude was kind of right. There was a who we were talking to a coach in the NFL who said they wouldn't take Devontae Parker because he doesn't eat breakfast and he only knows how to make cereal. Like there's some like that can't cook thing. I think that's the second time I've heard that in NFL circles where like, yeah, he can't cook. And like that's yeah. a red flag. And like the skinny knees with Teddy Bridgewater, everyone's like, skinny knees, what the fuck? And he has like one of the most gruesome knee injuries in practice. It's okay, like, that's a little different. Yeah. A little different. But so like, on the Miko Hardman stuff, I added this one late. It's not I asked, scout quotes or Spot on? Not, I'm not say spot on, but like, there's a reason people. These are pattern recognitions for some of these things. This was a late ad. I asked Quinn to throw it on because I knew we were going to be bringing up Mecole, who's like, I think he had two different tweets roasting Eli Apple. But while we were at the Super Bowl, Mecole Hardman was there, and there he was walking around with Mecole Hardman. Was a guy dressed as a bellhop, carrying all his shoes, Mecole Hardman shoes. So look at this. Look at this. He's got like a like eight boxes of shoes. And there was a point where the bellhop, he was sitting down for an interview. Nicole Hartman's sitting down for an interview. And the bellhop opens up a box like this, like fucking wedding engagement season. And Nicole grabs them out, slips them on, and does the interview where no one can see his feet anyway. <laughs> it was the most power move shit I've ever seen. Anonymous scout tweet that. Yeah, I don't know about Nicole. Guy walks around with a freaking guy dressed as a bellhop. Shoe hop. Shoe hop. It was absurd. It was a weird power move. I felt yeah. bad for the guy. The guy, the guy looked like an asshole dressed as the bellhop on Super Bowl Radio Row. Yeah, I can't imagine being. I, I don't know why anyone would want to do that to another human being. That's a dick move. It's weird. It's a weird. It's a weird play. Yeah. A couple more heart, fun to reads, fun to watch. Vernon Hargraves gets a personal foul penalty for running out of the field celebrating a interception with Jesse Bates. Dude, this is absurd. It's like you. you 
you want to say, oh, why didn't Vernon Hargraves, what was in his physical profile that, you know, didn't work out, top 10 pick, corner, where'd we go wrong? And then you see shit like this, and you're like, this guy just is not bringing, he's not bringing his all. Uh, let's say well, he's bringing his all. Let's, let's say mentally to, to, the, <laughs> to the game. You know, like that's, that's not a guy out there thinking on the field, on his feet there. That was just a horrible, that's just a dumb it's hilarious. I mean, it's fun as shit to watch. But yeah, that it's is... great. It's great. Last one on the fun to read segment, um, which I'm slowly realizing I want to apologize to podcast listeners who don't watch on YouTube because it's so much of a better segment on YouTube. Yeah, you get to actually. You got to go watch on YouTube. It's fun shit. But this, this is... is the tweet that the fun to read segment was started for. Yes. Yes. So this is from Chris Adamski, who I think is a Pittsburgh beat writer. He writes yeah. or he writes for the Pittsburgh Tribune. Yeah. He quote tweets Seth Walder, who sent out the QBRs for the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Bro had a 39.7. He says, Mason Rudolph is verifiably statistically better in his lone start this season than Joe Burrow was in the Super Bowl. But yeah, everyone wants to tell me Mason is the worst QB they ever saw. One, even if that was true, is a shit take. Just come on. Stop. You write for the Pittsburgh. Your your upshot here is you're saying Mason's good. Is that like what you're trying to say? Then you're utterly absurd. Then if if you scroll down. He's better than Joe Burrow. That's even more absurd. But. This is even the best part. I think this might be a screenshot, actually, so you might not be able to scroll down. Okay. But there there was a reply from Seth Walder at some point where Seth Walder said, that's wrong. Rudolph posted a 39.1 in that game, which was lower than Joe Burrow's thing. And then he replies, he says, what? So you're saying Rudolph is the worst quarterback in the world? Because that's what you're saying. That was my lone take to refute. Talk about insane. Guy's digging his heels in like a motherfucker, dude. He does not realize he looks like a crazed person. I'm not owned. I'm not owned. I'm not owned. That's right. He looks crazy. And that's why it's the fun to read segment. On to the Save Your Likes segment. Appreciate everyone who's gone through the fun to reads with the Save Your Likes. This one's from me. From me, you Cincinnati is buzzing. See, I even commented. I, I said, "Save your likes." Don't like it. I wasn't getting people. I don't want people liking that tweet. I intentionally did not tweet yesterday. I knew I was going to come with some bad stuff because the energy was high, and then it got a little too high. And the banks that we were, were down at the banks between the two stadiums, and it was packed to the fucking brim. It was too packed. Move. It was too packed. So I went back home. And it was to watch snowing it outside. I wanted to watch the game, and it was snowing. It was crazy atmosphere, but ended up not actually watching on the street with everyone else just watching my place. But I was like, I'm not going to tweet or else I'm going to probably tweet some save your like stuff because I was, you know, caught up in the moment myself. It was a good time. But Cincinnati was buzzing. That was at 11.39 a.m. The game does not start on the East Coast until 6.30, but there was like a two-mile line to get into Yard House. Yeah, Yard so, House is objectively shit. So at 10.30, bars didn't open until 11. We, I went to go get in line to Holy Grail, and the, like we were at a point in line where we may not have gotten in still half hour before the bar opened so i was like i'm gonna make a pivot go somewhere else we did it was good save your likes on that one the other one <laughs> this one this should is have been this should have been fun to read dude because this, this one, is we again were dying why I laughing. yesterday sam monson during the famed halftime show <laughs> i can't look at this tweet he wrote i'll, I'll read it He's wrote this in a completely serious manner, I believe. I don't think this was no, like this a joke. No, this is serious. This is serious. He wrote, Eminem is going to take the roof off this <laughs> The replies. <laughs> Why are you white? There's another one that says, whitest tweet ever. Oh, my gosh. It oh was my just. Gosh. Oh, wait, wait. Scroll to that one, Quinn. What did that one say? There's, there's not a lot. One more down. There's really not a lot to say An undercover it. cop sitting next to me just said this verbatim. <laughs> There's really like, oh. it's just, 
It didn't hit the way he thought it was going to hit. Has Sam ever said joint? Ever? <laughs> has Sam said the word joint? Was there a gun to his head? Was this a sponsored tweet? Eminem is going to take the roof off this joint? It's like... I'm dying. This is hilarious. It's like what people said unironically in maybe 2006. And like, that was, it was... I need to read the quote tweets. I need I need to. And has not been said since 2006 in an unironic manner. This is this is a, this a PFF ass tweet if I ever seen one. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he got quote tweeted. Some Babe, wake up. New PFF cringe tweet just dropped. Everyone hated him for this tweet. It just was, it was one of those that... What a sensational piece. That is hilarious. I'm so glad we included that. Eminem going to take the take the roof off this joint. All right, last thing here, and this is going to be a mainstay on the Monday episode. Fun to read, save your likes, and then obviously the power rankings tweet where we power rank something. Now, in honor of Super Bowl Monday, we ranked hangover remedies. I'm not hungover. I had like two beers yesterday. I was kind of like frustrated with the fucking energy of Cincinnati and the snow. I ended up not drinking pretty much anything else. I just wanted to watch the game. But I do know a lot of people are hungover today, especially if you're in Los Angeles, a big Rams fan for the last three days or whatever it's been. Hangover remedies. Okay. Go ahead and start with your number one. I found this one late in life, sadly, but it's the best thing I found. And it is drink a glass of water with BCAAs before you go to bed. Now you can get BCAAs in like powder form, pill form, whatever. <laughs> that shit works. You wake up much better off than like leave or any of like the medicines people will tell you to take. No, BCAAs in glass of water before bed. Best one in my opinion. All righty then. I went actually, I think you're probably right there. I have never actually. So the reason I didn't rank them high is I'd never done them. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of food, specifically carbs and water before bed. <sighs> See, I... Late night food doesn't sit well with me. A lot of times my hangovers are like stomach in nature. Really? And a lot of time that's because I'm, you know, gassing a pizza. It's 2 a.m. It's not. But my take is for hangover for me, it's like the headache, right? Like the headache and like the inability to move the next yeah. day, which we've all had. And like if you like house, <laughs> like Waffle House or IHOP or like something just carp fries, pizza, burgers, and then a ton of water. Yeah, your stomach's going to hurt the next day. No one said you were going to feel great. Yeah. <laughs> but it, like if you want to avoid the like mind-splitting headache. I do think that yeah, is the yeah, best yeah. method. However, I'm going to add this. That's a pretty... Both of ours are shit number ones because, like, no one's thinking about the hangover the day exactly. before, bro. Like, That's dude, a... Pre-caring yeah. about the hangover is a... Is a it's in and of itself is a cheat. You it's, know what yeah. I mean? I, so let's get to number two. My number okay. two... It's like, don't drink as much as my hangover cure. <laughs> <laughs> my hangover cure? Abstinence. <laughs> like, yeah. take that one. Or like, what's the safest way of having sex? Don't. Exactly. What's the safest way of skiing? Don't ski. Yeah. All right. Unlimited, my number two. And you actually told me this when I had one of the worst hangovers of my life at the Senior Bowl like three years ago. Yeah. Like, don't stop drinking water. Like, even when you think you're full and you don't... You, yeah. you're, you're, don't. Like literally, and that is kind of a cheat too, but I'm going to hammer it home. The number one, my favorite thing, if you did not eat before or drink a ton of water before, is like literally as soon as you wake up and you know you have a hangover, start drinking water and don't stop. Like gallons, gallons, yes. gallons. Piss yourself. Keep going. If you actually want to be functional that day, you can obviously like have a lazy day and whatever. But like if you need to work the next day, like a super Monday situation, you got to be housing water, housing it. Yeah. See, that's that one I didn't put on here because that's almost just I didn't even like think about. That's just a given for me now that the next day I drink water until it makes me like uncomfortable that I'm drinking water. So that one's that the the one that works that probably shouldn't work. But like you sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes it's dire straits. It's the little hair of the dog putting down three to four drinks. I have come to realize is a preferred method of getting you back when you are like on your deathbed, when you're really hurting, just like a few 
not enough to get drunk, but just a few to like get your body kind of that middle state between very, very hurting and yeah, you know, and back to completely sober. You need sometimes that middle state, and that's three or four beers. So here's that. I've never actually had the hair of the dog work for me. I think I just like all it does for me is like maybe like numb the headache a little bit, but either way, I'm still feeling like shit. I've never had the hair of the dog work for me. I'm not saying it's not a good ranking, but like I, it's personally not not been okay. something that's worked for Fair. me. Number three, this one's interesting. And I'm, I'm excited for your reaction to this, but this has worked for me a couple of times. <laughs> Tell everyone you're not hungover. <laughs> if you, okay, so you're hungover shit. If you, it, it's kind of mind over matter. If you tell everybody I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm not hungover, it kind of works. Okay. Even if you I are hungover as shit. If you try and like give off this vibe that you're not hungover. No, I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Then you are. It'll, it'll feel better. Now, will it cure it? No. It's a reason it's number three on this list. But I'll tell you what, if you go into the next day and you say you're hungover shit, you're going to yeah. feel it, buddy. You're going to be all in on that. I do agree. If you're leaning into it, be like, oh, never drink I'm again. Hungover. I feel so bad. Yeah. Then, you, then you feel worse. My number three is a lot of pancakes and then a nap. Because oh. pancakes put you to sleep pretty easily. Nap always helps. So pancakes and naps my number three. I like it. I like it. That's a good list. It's a good list. I'm, I, I like my ranking. I might try the BCAs, but I like I'll my ranking. I'll have to try your telling everyone you're not hungover. Try that one. <laughs> I've done it before. You put sunglasses on, you're like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not hungover. Everything's fine, guys. Eventually, you're like, you know what? Maybe I am okay. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Until, wait, I got interviews. Interviews with Danny Kelly from The Ringer. We talk a lot about the wide receiver cornerback class. Then I got interviews with, these were recorded before the Super Bowl, so I had their Super Bowl predictions on here. You can make fun of them then. But Jerry Judy from the Denver Broncos and Khalil Herbert of the Chicago Bears. Let's get it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is The Ringer's Danny Kelly, a frequent friend of the show. Mike Renner took an early flight back to Cincinnati. I think he had one too many yesterday, so it's just going to be me and you. <laughs> nice. Me and you ripping it up. I am a huge fan of the work that you do for The Ringer slash Spotify, the draft guy that you have been doing. How long have you been doing the draft guy now? This is my fourth season, actually. Dude. Kind of flies by. I remember we were, I think the first time I met you in person was either at the Combine or Senior Bowl a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. I remember I was just waxing poetic about how much I love the UI and the UX of the Rangers. Yeah. I always like to pretend to take credit for that because I absolutely designed it all myself. Oh, yeah. You coded it. No, I didn't do any of that. So um, it just makes it look really, really nice. It does. It does. Lends a little bit of credibility, which Mm -hmm. I like, you know? Yeah. Go ahead and Google the Ringer draft guide. You'll find it, the NFL draft guide. It's updated with the top 32 players according to you. And we were talking a little bit before we were recording. I don't want to talk about the QBs. Yeah. We, I've talked to every We've single person here about the QBs. Okay? Yeah. QBs aren't good, period. All right, There's a couple guys that maybe you'll draft in the first round, but right. none of them are all that great. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this offensive tackle mm-hmm. class. I am a huge fan of this offensive tackle class, and it Same. looks like you are as well. You, yep. have two, you have three offensive tackles in your top five. At 3-4-5, Ike Iquanu of NC State, Charles Cross of Mississippi State there at number four on your board, and then Evan Neal of Alabama. I guess the first question is, because they're so close together, right? how interchangeable are those guys for right. you? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I think they're vibes guys. Like it's depending on your vibes is how you're gonna like these guys. Aquanu mm-hmm. is like obviously a, a mauling run game guy. He has a little bit of work to do in the passing game. Charles Cross, on the other hand, is like a really good pass protector, but maybe has some work to do in the in the run game. And then Evan Neal is just like massive dude who's really good in all ranges, mm-hmm. um, played in multiple positions, all that stuff. So um, it really is, I think, just a vibes thing. I think if I had to put money down right now, Neal is gonna be the first one that gets picked. Um, but I just kind of like, I, I don't know, Kwanu is just really fun to watch. I yeah. Think. You know, he's like throwing guys and moving around, like he moves really well, super athletic. So um, this isn't, I think, an elite top heavy draft, or like there's going to be 
three blue chip guys. I think all these guys probably go in the top ten. Although I guess there is some discussion that Cross might fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've seen this in some mock drafts that maybe the NFL isn't quite as high on him as as draft Twitter is. So that's going to be an interesting one to see. But I think Aquanu and Neil go really, really high. I, I think some of the rumors, at least of what I've heard with Charles Cross's fall, is that he's just simply, and this is by no fault of his own in my opinion, not going to test as well as some of these other guys. Yeah. Right? I think Aquanu yeah. and Neil are supposed to be like these athletic, explosive freaks, whereas Cross sure, sure. is smooth moving, but not necessarily going to be an outlier with his broad jump and those totally. things. Whereas Evan Neal like, might like break records at the combine. Yeah, and that's ultimately totally. why I think when you're saying he's the guy first off the board, I'm in alignment with you there. You said Iki Aquanu is fun to watch. Yeah. He's also fun to talk to. He is a guy that I've had I've had multiple times on this podcast. He's one of the funniest dudes in really? this draft class. We actually like after we were done recording, I had like a highlight cut up of all of his like big blocks. Yeah. And there's one on the on the end zone angle of the L twenty two. You can see him drive into the sideline and like lay on him. And I was like, what's your thought process <laughs> yeah, yeah. here, Icky? And he's like, dude, I want to hurt everyone I play against. Just it's like bury that, that, him. And like you said, it's the vibes thing, right? We had Benjamin Solak on recently and he talked about, hey, if you want to pass protect a ton and you want to drop back, you know, 40 times a yep. game, Charles Cross is going to be your guy. Yep. If you want a road grade, like maybe like the Baltimore Ravens, you're going to be Icky Aquanu all day long. So Absolutely. I do think that Aquanu, if your team is running the football consistently and wants to have that like layer of dominance up front, it's obvious. And yep. he offers that positional versatility, right? A lot of people like totally. him kicked inside to guard and so forth. Evan Neal, too, I think could play any position yep. along the offensive line. Maybe not center at six foot seven, but he is another <laughs> right. talented offensive right. tackle prospect as well. Am I crazy to say, though, that there is a decent drop-off after those three, right? Mike Renner on this show has talked about Bernard Raymond maybe slipping into the top 20, top 15, the Central Michigan offensive tackle. A lot of people like Trevor Penning. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think after the top three, there is a bit of a drop-off for me. Yeah, you know, I put Penning in the top 32 for my first one, and then um, I kind of go back and forth on him. There were some plays where I'm like, this guy, he looks the part. He's really tall, really long, really (laughs) physical, strong. He plays with an edge. You know, all that good stuff. There were times where his footwork is a little clunky, and obviously he's playing against a lower level of competition, so there are times where he's just, you know, dominating yeah. guys that are not going to be playing on Sunday. So um, I think he's a tough one. It didn't sound like he had a great, great senior bowl. I think it was sort of just like hit and miss there. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see if he sneaks into the first round. So I do agree with you, though. That's interesting is potentially top 10, three guys in the top 10, and then maybe no more in the first round. Maybe though. at the back end of the first, though, yeah. just because of positional value, like these totally. guys slip in. But if you want an offensive tackle in this class, it's looking more and more like, if you want a high ceiling offensive tackle in this class, yeah. it's looking more and more like you're going to have to get one of those top Early. three guys. But yeah. Mike and I actually were having a conversation recently on this podcast about with offensive tackle, you know, you set these thresholds for arm length and you want guys at a certain level of explosiveness because you're chasing this high end. Right. But we know the value of an average tackle, right? It's it's way more than the value of an average receiver or an average yep. at other positions. Yep. There are a lot of, I think, high floor average tackles in this class, so much that I can get behind maybe a Bernard Raymond at right. the back end of the first round or some of these other guys like Trevor Penning, even if he can, even if he's penalized a lot at the next level, maybe we can get past it. <laughs> yeah. but you know what he kind of reminds me of? I don't think I've seen this comp yet, but a little bit of Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles coming That's out of cool. Utah. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that's the type of – I mean, you remember like Bulls, hard-headed fucking yeah. – that guy was nasty, nasty dude. Nasty exactly. dude. Exactly. Uh, let's get to receiver. I, I'm excited about how you have these guys outlined. Another back-to-back-to-back situation <laughs> for receiver. Traylon Burks as your wide receiver one. Garrett Wilson at 12. Or, uh, Traylon Burks is your wide receiver one at number 11 yep. on your big board. Yep. Garrett Wilson, wide receiver two at 12, and then Drake London at 13. Then you even have, just a little bit down the road here, Jamison Williams at 17 and Chris Olave. Those are your top five. Yep. Traylon Burks, wide receiver one. Debo Samuel, shades of Debo Samuel with a power-up mushroom <laughs> is a phenomenal comp. In my, it's a phenomenal <laughs> comp to say out loud. <laughs> I like um, that. I like that. Yeah, he's, he's such an interesting one because I think they're definitely – you know, he's a little more raw in terms of his route running, his polish, all that stuff. But 
he has the pedigree, like former big, uh, like four star, five star guy. Um, you know, size, speed, combo, explosiveness. I think he can accelerate really, really fast. That's kind of why he reminded me of Debo. It's mm -hmm. like he doesn't really look like he's moving that fast, but then he like runs away from cornerbacks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he that's just kind of where I went with that. Obviously, you know, he's got a long way to go before he's mm -hmm. Debo Samuel, one of the best receivers in the NFL slash running backs. Um, but they use him in a variety of ways. He's going to have to prove at the next level, I think, that he can play outside consistently. And I think he can because he has that size, speed, and he can get off the line. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think he's a lot of fun. And he's this is also totally a vibes thing. Like, the, yeah. the receiver class is vibes. Because if you want to polish, <laughs> receiver class is vibes. it's all vibes, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> if you want a guy who's smooth, route runner, can get deep, like, get Olave. If yeah. you want James, if you want a guy, like, that can take the top off your defense, like, explosive, explosive guy that's like Jamison Williams. Um, Garrett Wilson is kind of like a combo of all that. He he reminds me, actually, of Kadarius Tony a little bit. Just, okay. like, his suddenness. Um, I, what, who did I actually end up giving him to? Odell. Yeah, he, he's kind of got the Odell, like, skill set. Like, he can do it all. He has the one-handed catchability. He's got really long arms. He can jump up and catch balls that are, like, way out of his catch range. Um but he's also really sudden after the catch. So, like, that, that I think, you know, depending on what offense you have, that can be really, really useful early on. And then Drake London, again, vibes. He's just, like, a rebounder. He's, mm -hmm. like, going up and boxing out guys. Um, you know, the the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside comp, I think, is probably going to get thrown out there a little bit because he doesn't separate quite as much as everybody else. But I always just see him more like a Mike Evans. Like, you're just winning with your size, your body positioning, your understanding of how to leverage, mm -hmm. like at with the, at the catch point. Um, so I think you know this is just like an incredibly good class. Maybe not like as good as some of the classes we've had over the last mm -hmm. few years, but that's hard to match. Yeah. That. So I think this is going to be a really good receiver class, and I'm I'm excited about some of the guys like in round two too. Mm -hmm. The the way I've looked at this receiver class is even with these top guys, right? Drake London, Williams, Olave, Wilson, Burks. I still feel that. Not all of them are like scheme-proof wide receiver ones, mm -hmm. but they do have like high, high-end wide receiver two floors, at least yeah. some of these top guys, right? Yeah. Like Garrett Wilson, I feel like has a high-end wide receiver two floor. I feel like Jamison Williams has a high-end wide receiver two floor. That's where I feel with this class. And for Drake London, the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside comp for me stops when you look at the target volume and where he was getting those targets, right? So much yeah. of J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's production and highlight reel was in the red zone. Right. Where you just don't throw it up. Yeah, just throw it up yeah. and make a play. Whereas... Drake London was getting like 15 targets a game, dude, and like yeah. actually making plays on a vertical and horizontal route tree, making plays uh, for USC, and when they knew where the ball was going, and he was still able to obviously haul those balls in. Yeah, and he was going stuff. deep. They were using him as a yak guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a possession guy. He can line up all over the field. He yeah. has experience outside and the inside. So, yeah, I mean that that's going to be like the you know the worst case scenario type. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of that type type of situation with Arthega Whiteside, but. I don't know. I don't really see it. I think he's, he's got more like the upside of like a Mike Evans type yeah. player where you know you I use that the, size to your advantage. I think the comp that we've thrown around here at PFF is Brandon Marshall. Brandon oh, Marshall for yeah, yeah. Drake London. And I, I also, the other receiver that I like, and I think I'm going to like him more than maybe a lot of others in this class, is Chris Olave. And Chris Olave, the comp yeah. I have for him is Calvin Ridley. That's the type yeah. of player you're getting, whereas like Calvin Ridley... You know, obviously has dealt with a lot of stuff off the field, and you hope to see him back on the football field, but he's always been this high-end wide receiver, too. Has he ever been, like, a true wide receiver one and changed the like game? Like an alpha? Like an alpha? Not. No. Yeah. But what high-end wide receiver, too, like how it really changes offenses, right? Sure. Especially if you pair him up with someone that has a trump card, you know, something like a Traylon Burks or a DK, a guy that can come out and, like, he offers something rare and unique that maybe isn't as versatile as an Olave, but you right. bring in this guy who has a trump card or a rare, you know, rare skill set, pair him with a guy that can run up and down all the route tree. I think that's where Olave, man, if you end up 
with Olave as some of these other guys come off the board, a London, a Wilson, a Jamison, Williams, you're going to be very happy with that decision because I just don't see yeah. this guy like all all out failing at the next level. That's just totally. not where I'm at I think with that. he's going to be so interesting because I think, well, first of all, I agree with you completely. I think he's going to be one of the best values at the, in this class because he's probably not going to be the first guy picked. He might be the fifth or sixth guy picked. Yeah. Maybe later. Who knows? Um, but people are going to ding him because he went back to school instead of going into the NFL last Dominator year. rating screwed. Right. <laughs> I mean, the analytical profile isn't quite there. He was like the third best. People are going to say this all the next few months. He was the third best receiver on his team. I get that. I love that. By the way, he was starting ahead of Jamison Williams. who <laughs> might go higher in the draft than him. Yeah. Um, but still, I think he, so he's going to get some dings for that. But like, man, when you watch him, he's just so smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, effortless speed. He can get deep. He can stretch the defense, so he changes the way that your offense operates, right? Because he can take the top off a of defense anyway, anytime. He has so many touchdowns in his college career. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. I really like him. I think he's going to be one of the, like, in, you know, you mentioned Dynasty or something. Like, he's going to be one of the best values in, like, yeah. Dynasty drafts because I just think, you know, he's probably going to be a first-round pick, maybe early, early second, and he's just going to be a productive pro. That's what, that's what I think. What I do think will throw a wrench in him being a value is how, how fast he runs because what I've heard is fast. that he is fast yeah. and faster than even Garrett Wilson who's being consistently yep. mocked ahead of him in, in mock drafts and those things. If he goes out runs like a low 4-4, four, four, high 4-3. Four, yeah. That changes, right? A lot right. of things change when you when the you throw out that speed. Build, the hype yeah. starts to build. Let's uh let's close with defensive backs. This has been an intriguing cornerback class because yeah. a lot of the conversation has been about Derek Stingley. And everyone brings up obviously the twenty nineteen season. It's the best true freshman season we've seen from a quarterback probably since I've been born. And, and he did it not only in right. the SEC, he did it against a really talented slate of NFL receivers. He, in my opinion, is scheme proof, right? Like he yeah. can come in if he answers the injury questions. He can come in and be whatever you want. Yeah. He can fall receivers in the slot. He can play on one side. He can do whatever you want. And that, in my opinion, has him ahead of Ahmad Gardner, who is obviously very talented. Totally. Obviously very talented in the role that he played at Cincinnati. But I don't think at the next level you're going to ask Ahmad Gardner to do whatever He's you want. He's not going to be the guy that's traveling with exactly. receiver all over the field. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's why I have Stingley ahead of Gardner. You have Gardner at 7 on your big board and Derek Stingley at 8. I yeah, guess I'm, walk not, me I'm not going to fight you too much. I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I actually that. think it's like, you know, they're head and head. I actually do this a lot in my, in my rankings. I'm just like, if I like a couple guys, it's more like a tier for me mm-hmm. than like oh, actual ranking. Like I have to get, I, I have to have Sauce Gardner over Stingley. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. not really feeling that way. It's it again. It's sort of vibes too. It's like it, depending on what your team needs. Um, do you want a guy who's going to be physical, press, you know, get up in a guy's chest and, and like reroute him and all that stuff? He he's got the length, the size, you know, the speed, all that stuff. But I think there are question marks over like the last few years, kind of like why his performance was slightly not as good as when he was a freshman. The injury situation I think could potentially make him fall. Yeah. And I think you know Gardner did a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Like he went up against some really good players this year did well he's got incredible incredible foot quickness like flexibility fluidity the guy just like has no problem yeah. like mirroring he's just it's like effortless for him so i just really like both of these guys yeah. I, I think you know stingley definitely profiles more as like a lockdown shutdown you know jalen ramsey type corner yeah. then then like Garner. follow receiver around type yeah thing. shadow coverage type whereas mod garner i do think has like island potential like prime yeah. richard sherman right. potential where like he's on one side of the field and you're not throwing over there and then yeah. that's exactly what happened at cincinnati like yeah. at cincinnati he's on one side of the field like the entire game they just and he's <laughs> and they're like yeah we're not throwing over there just yeah. not gonna happen and, yeah. and that has value right and like when you say it's a vibe thing it's, it's it's and i think another way of phrasing that it's like it's a scheme thing like totally. if your scheme is a gus bradley dan quinn type 
Ahmad Gardner comes in and can do a lot for you, like yeah. a ton for you. If your scheme is asking corners to you know follow guys into the slot and play a lot of man coverage, you're probably going to lean Stingley. Um, it's like over Sherman Gardner. versus Revis. You yeah, know? Sherman is not necessarily going to follow guys around. Revis is the guy who's like, you're gonna just take this player out of the game. Yeah, and and we're just gonna have to worry about the other players. Like Sherman is just like really good. He played on his side. Mm -hmm. He didn't do a lot of traveling in terms of following guys around, but he locked down his area of the field. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I, we're yeah. not comparing them to Sherman and Revis, but I get what you're saying. Let's just compare <laughs> these guys to the two greatest corners <laughs> of our generation. So the next yeah. Hall of Famer on your list is Trent McDuffie. Now you have uh, yeah. Ahmad Gardner at seven, Derek Singley at eight, and then on your big board, Trent McDuffie, who Mike Renner is a massive fan of, and I'm yeah. a huge fan of as well. I've actually had an opportunity to talk with him in this draft class. You know who he reminds me of? Who's that? Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy I know, coming I up. I wanted to make that comp. It's a, like, you don't want the same like helmet Washington, comp and Washington. stuff like that, but he reminds me as like a person too. Mm -hmm. Smaller guy, plays really physical, and is just brilliant. And just absolutely brilliant yeah. and will do whatever you ask of him. Uber athletic. I think he's um, going to be really coachable mm -hmm. at the next level. Some people won't like his size, period. Like right. 5'11", 195. I think right. he could even show up a little bit lighter than that. His arm length is going to be a massive measurement at the combine. But yeah. if you run a scheme, again, if you have the vibe of you can, <laughs> that you can get away with like a shorter corner and run a lot of zone coverages and yeah. you know he's going to be in the right place at the right time, buddy, you're going to get the best out of Trent McDuffie. Yeah. If you're running a ton of man coverage, Maybe it's not as easy to factor him into your scheme because you don't want him mirroring guys and, and running into guys who are like six foot five. Like, yeah, like, yeah, but for sure. You see where the NFL is going with like the Brandon Staley type of defenses where they're running a lot of off coverage and stuff like that. So yeah. I think McDuffie is going to get valued by the right teams. And if those teams are picking inside the top 15, top 20, they'll probably pull the trigger. Yeah, I, I really like the, the Byron Murphy one because I actually had the same thought. It's like foot quickness elite balance like the way that he kind of you know when he's playing off he can look into the backfield and like really read routes and get where he's supposed to be um tenacious like mm -hmm. a, like a bulldog type of like mentality um i think he you know he can play probably over the slot too and yeah. like play all over the formation so um he's just like one of those guys it, it was funny it's like almost boring to watch his tape too because <laughs> they, they don't throw in his no they like, didn't they yeah. didn't so um I think yeah, probably I've seen him go really high in some mock drafts, so he has top ten potential potential. I think so. barely anyone threw on Washington because of McDuffie and the other guy there, Kyler Gordon, yep. who I think Daniel Jeremiah recently put in like the top thirty of his yep. big board. I think yep. when I talked to McDuffie, he was consistently saying, "Man, you got to talk to Kyler Gordon because this guy's the most athletic player I've ever seen in my life, and yes. more, more athletic than McDuffie, which is absurd to think." Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be quite the cornerback class, Danny. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Jerry Judy of the Denver Broncos. I remember watching your tape at Alabama, being like, this is the best receiver in the draft. The fact that I'm sitting down with you is pretty freaking sweet. I appreciate you setting aside some time. I appreciate you for having me. I was watching the Pat McAfee show. You were on there earlier. You're making the full tour here around Radio Row, and you did the whole what Nick Saban does every single day, yeah. just walking through his routine. And you're saying that Saban just does the same shit every single day, and that's part of the genius, right? Yeah. That's part of the reason he's so great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he got... The same routine, you know, if you really think about it, if you look at all the greats, all the great basketball players, football players, great athletes overall, you know, every everything they got in common, they all got routines to keep them successful. Yeah, the consistency, right? Yeah. What, what do you, what's a key part of your routine you think that's going to help you be great? Um, taking care of my body, you know, my body my body is the, my biggest investment. So mm -hmm. everything I need to do is just make sure my body at its highest peak so I can perform at my 
my highest. So yeah. Running sprints when you don't want to, diet when you don't want to, all that I definitely yeah. think makes sense. I want to also talk about your new head coach. You said you had an opportunity to meet with him on mm-hmm. the McAfee Show, Nathaniel Hackett. Early impressions of him, and I guess how excited are you to be a part of his offense in 2022? Uh, I'm very excited. You know, I heard a lot of things and seeing where he came from, Green Bay, uh, mm-hmm. see what they did on offense. So it's very exciting having a especially having the offensive coach as the head coach now, and yeah. Officer Gruel as the head coach. So, you know, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what things hold in the future. I guess speak to the relationship you had with Vic Fangio, and obviously he's moving away from Denver now, but what relationship did you have with him? I guess speak to what he did at Denver and what you liked about the coaching staff he had out there. Uh, Vic Fangio, he was a great dude, great coach. Um, you know, uh, he did everything. Very laid back dude. Um, real cool, but... Yeah, I hope everything goes good for him. Yeah, I, I also wanted to talk to you about these Alabama receivers coming out now. I know Devontae Smith is one of your good friends, and he's now playing with the Philadelphia Eagles, but John Mechie, Jameson Williams, yes. both these guys coming out have a lot of speed, have a lot of talent. Yeah. How much of their game have you watched recently, and, and are you talking to him now even through this draft process? Uh, I actually seen Mechie recently, and uh, I, watch, I watch every game they played in. Oh, know? wow. Yeah, I, I just love watching them play, the excitement they bring to the game, the the, the big playmaking I'll be seeing them do. So it, it's very exciting watching them play. Yeah, I, I think they are going to enter the NFL with a lot of high expectations, just like every Alabama receiver really does. Do you feel Alabama, I guess this is a biased question, Alabama the true wide receiver you, or is it even close? Most definitely. Most definitely <laughs> all wide receiver you. There are, some, there are some good receivers that come out of LSU, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's for sure. But can you count how many though? No, not enough. Not can enough. You count how many? That's just a comparison. There's a lot of good. Lot, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great receivers out there, and a lot so, of great receivers that come out of LSU. But Alabama is different. Alabama's different. <laughs> Alabama's different. For LSU, one of the guys, Jamar Chase, offensive rookie of the year this year, broke Justin Jefferson record. Another LSU receiver. Yeah. How much of his game have you watched? Have you talked to him at all in this in this you know first season in the NFL? And I guess how impressed are you with him as a receiver? No, I haven't talked to him, but I, I, you know I went against. Jefferson and um, I mean, uh, I went against um, Chase in college, so mm-hmm. I already know what he brings to the table. So seeing what he's doing now is not really surprising me at all because yeah. I already knew he was a great player, great receiver. So he just doing what he's doing. I think anyone who's surprised level. by Jamar Chase did not watch his film at LSU because this guy was absurd at LSU. Yeah, he's doing uh, the same exact thing he's doing now. <laughs> Look, there you go right there. Uh-uh. Look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what about Cooper Cup? Cooper Cup, I was talking to Brandon Marshall, former Denver Broncos receiver. He's like, I don't think the league has ever seen a Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. This guy leads the NFL in receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns, mm-hmm. all doing it from the outside and then the slot. Yeah. You, you, what's your thoughts on Cooper Cup's game? Great player. Great. I've been watching Cooper Cup ever since he was at um, – I've been watching him ever since college. Mm-hmm. So so I, so he's a great player to me. Uh, always being in the right position, make plays, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing how to read defense quickly, just – He's just side playing to watch. Yeah, so, yeah. No, 100%. Like, like you said, number one in receiving, number one in catching, number one in touchdown. What, what receiver could you really name that did that? Not a lot. Yeah, not so. a lot. And if they did, they probably went to Alabama. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that speaks volumes about him. Uh, we're, we're talking a bunch of receivers, right? I think you could argue Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase are in the top five, top ten among all receivers in the NFL. Who are your top guys in the NFL? And if so, like, are, are you watching these guys consistently picking apart their games? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I watch a lot of receivers. It'd it be, it be hard to really name a top five because everybody got their own situation, own, own – um, old thing going on yeah. so you can't really compare 
you can't really compare players in, in dis different situations. You mm -hmm. feel me? And they come no, that in makes different sense. times. So, but other than that, I, I like you know I'm a crafty rap runner, so I like watching rap, rap yeah. runners such as Cooper Cup, Amara Cooper, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Allen. Adams, Keenan Allen, guys like that, guys that know how to get open and crafty in their route running. I remember we had on another podcast Xavier Howard. He's a Miami Dolphins cornerback, and he yeah. was like, man, when I went against Jerry Judy, this guy's going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. I don't know if you've heard him say that before, but it's because of that craftiness, right? And I think from the outside looking in, that for me, when I'm scouting receivers or looking at guys in the NFL, feels like it's the most important, right? Yeah. Can you create separation at the line of scrimmage with your release packages? And can you create separation at the stem? Yeah. Do you feel like that's the most valuable? Because other people bring up contested catchability, yards yeah. after the catch, red zone stuff. But what do you think is most valuable? Yeah, I feel like I feel like most valuable is really catching. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody on you or you separate it. If you can't catch the ball, it doesn't matter. Fair. So you, I feel like the biggest thing is catching. But also, I feel like having separation play a role with your yak, with the running after catch. So yeah. the, seven, the amount of separation you have going into your route, then when you catch the ball, it, it, it has a lot to do with your yak. So, and it allows you to have run after catch too. So I feel like that's a big thing too. Really appreciate the time. Final Super Bowl prediction. Have you given it out? Are you going Rams, you going Bengals? Where are you heading? I'm going Rams 35-28. 35-28, you had it. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. Thanks I really for having appreciate me. it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Bears running back uh, Khalil Herbert, a.k.a. Juice. We've had you on this podcast before, before you were a big NFL star. Now we're obviously appreciating your, your time, man. I really appreciate jumping on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me again, man. Excited to be back. I think every question around the Bears right now, and some of it's around the new head coach, but it's honestly surrounding this offense in Justin Fields. Yeah. You know, Talk about your relationship with Justin Fields and even just working with him for a year now, yeah. what your beliefs are of like what the ceiling of this offense could be with a talent like his, where everyone wants to say, man, he can run, he can throw, he's got this arm. What do you feel like the ceiling is for this offense, and, and what is your relationship with Fields? I feel like there is no ceiling. Just, you know, being with him through minicamp, you know, kind of growing, going through this thing together. Um, you just see how each week he's gotten better and better. He's learned more and more. So just, you know, having a year under his belt now, coming back year two, having an offseason to prepare, like fully prepare. Um, you know, I, I think there's no ceiling. I feel like we, we have the guys on offense to do what needs to be done. So, you know, I'm excited to see what coaches do um, and what we install and uh, how things turn out. It was a really challenging year, I'm sure, at least from the outside looking in, to balance like the you know Andy Dalton's coming in, Justin yeah. Fields is coming in. There's obviously questions you see media talking about Matt Nagy. I mean, there are videos of like people asking for Matt Nagy to be fired at his son's football games and stuff. Like, yeah. It had to have been a really challenging year in Chicago to like identify like a clear path and like a north star from a leadership perspective. How do you feel like the team handled that kind of like? tribulation right like those yeah. challenges and how do you feel you're going to bounce back from that now with the new regime with Iberflus now as coach yeah you know it was it was tough but I feel like the team handled it the best we could um you know it's hard you know get off your phones and not look at stuff exactly. but you know for the most part I think like we, we did that um but it was tough you know all the ups and downs throughout the season it's a lot it's a lot but you know with this new regime in and you know I think guys are ready for the new for the new coaching staff and um, you know, everybody's excited to see what we do and uh, what they what they install and things we put in. So I know everybody's excited and ready to go. So I think I'm gonna get on my soapbox a little bit, but I think something I frustrated with some media, right, is they they block it out when you interview players, right? Like you you have to like be transparent about like, hey, yeah. every all these players have freaking Twitter and cell phones yeah. and stuff like that. They're able to see all that's going on with Matt Nagy and people wanting Justin Fields to start over yeah. Andy Dalton and all this stuff. Blocking all that out is not easy, right? You yeah. guys see when you go into games and you're ten point dogs. Like you see when people are asking for quarterbacks to be benched. I guess to kind of press on that question more, you know, what does what do players do like yourself to like 
Because it's, it, I don't think the right answer is as simple as block it out, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to be on your phone. You have yeah. to be doing things like this, right? Yeah. Getting on camera and doing that stuff. I, I'm interested to hear your answer. It's tough because like in college, I was able to like, I delete social media throughout the week. Oh, wow. Or like sometimes I'd go like on months, but I really have it for the weekend, you know, after the game, whatever, post pitch or something. But during the week, I deleted because I didn't want to see all this stuff. But now, like, you kind of have to, you need it. You need social media, um, building your brand, marketing, all these other things. So it's hard to block things out. But for me, like, I don't get any notifications to my, like, front <laughs> screen besides, like, text messages or calls wow. from, like, family and friends. So, like, I don't get Instagram. I don't get Twitter. I don't get ESPN. So, like, I have to go searching for it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of guys do that same thing. A lot of guys, like, delete apps or delete, um, you know, are put away their phones during the week but um, that's kind of one thing that's helped me yeah i mean i, I think i'd have to do that right yeah. especially i mean there's this extreme of it right where a guy drops a pass on fourth down and like just gets a series of these dms on ig yeah. but even just the standard day-to-day -day, even when you're not making mistakes you see a lot of the conversation around an offense and pe people peaking people speaking about you that have never even met you yeah. which is another just wild <laughs> yeah. thing anyway i'm getting <laughs> off on a tangent but it is an interesting it's an interesting topic of conversation going back to the chicago bears matt eberflus we talked a little bit before we started recording that you had an opportunity to meet him mm -hmm. your early impressions i've loved what he's done with defenses specifically yeah. in indianapolis and in previous jobs but now he's the head coach what's your thought i'm excited um just meeting with him you know we we're able to talk football we we're able to chop it up about life so um just the kind of guy he is he wants to be a player's coach so um his door is always open but you know i'm excited to see what he does i've talked to the oc and um you know the things that we're going to put in in and in, install in are going to be fun i feel like so I'm excited. I, you know, a lot of guys are excited and ready to get back. You know, we got to wait till April, but um, I know guys are putting in work and eager to get back. Chicago, Matt Eberflus, yourself, all in this you know, unique opportunity, all have this unique opportunity in the NFC North to make waves next year, right? There's some conversation about Aaron Rodgers not coming back, all this stuff. Do you guys, you know, kind of sense that opportunity to be, you know, playoff competitive, deep playoff competitive as soon as next year, right? Like some people want to tag you with a new head coach every single time yeah. in this rebuild. You guys want to win now, right? Yeah, we want to win now. Um, you know, I feel like we got a great shot at winning, winning our division next year. So, you know, nobody's waiting for, you know, rebuild the next couple of years. Like we're starting from day one and. Um, you know, guys are going to buy in and we got to get this thing rolling. So. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, I think anytime I talk to Chicago Bear, I want to ask about <laughs> Rodgers and some of the comments he makes in game and people mocking the belt and yeah. all that stuff. I, what's the sentiment, sentiment among teammates or people in Chicago of Aaron Rodgers and the stuff that you guys see? I mean, nobody likes him. <laughs> uh, to be said, I mean, nobody likes him. You know, the fans don't like each other. It's, it's kind of interesting coming in as a rookie and seeing how, how deep these ties are in this rivalry so um, you know nobody took that lightly and you know we didn't take that lightly so still something that I think we'll hang on to the next coming years. I mean it's kind of similar to collegiate rivalries right where you play each other every single year but yeah. the difference in my opinion between collegiate rivalries and NFL rivalries is the players yeah. right because the players just churn out in college right yeah. some guys only play two years mm -hmm. in the NFL it's like Chicago Bears have hated Aaron Rodgers for like two decades <laughs> like literally have hated him his entire career. <laughs> yeah uh, that's definitely a big difference, you know. I feel like it's it's deeper than it mm -hmm. is in college. Um, you could feel the deepness throughout the fans that have been fans for since they were little kids to now. Yeah. Um, so you just feel the hatred towards <laughs> that team up north. Uh, man, you could definitely you could definitely feel it. A couple more questions. I'll let you go. We talked about Justin Fields. We talked about Eberflus, but you are also one of a you know very talented 
backfield, right? Tariq Cohen didn't have a lot of opportunities to play this year due to injury, but David Montgomery did. And that combination of talent at the running back position is obviously something that Chicago wants to lean into. What is your relationship with this stable of backs that Chicago has? And what do you feel like the game plan will be to make sure that all of you guys are deployed to the best of your ability? I'm not, I can't speak on the game plan yet. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> um, you know, I feel like the coaches will have a great, great idea and great sense to utilize us all. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, just being around those guys, they've helped me a lot. They helped me, uh, you know, when they went down and I was the guy up. So there was no drop off, you know, um, from off the field stuff, from preparing to be a starter, from taking care of my body. You know, the list goes on and on, just talking every day kind of about life. Um, you know, they helped me a lot. And those guys, you know, I'm so thankful for them just being in that room with those group of men uh, definitely helped me a lot. Final question for you. We're here at the Super Bowl. Final Super Bowl prediction. Who's winning? What's the score? Come on. I need you. Uh, you had to know that question's coming. It's not going to be all about it's Twitter. It's tough because I, I got people on both teams. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to go with the Rams. Rams um, by. Spread is four and a half. I know you probably can't speak to that. Uh, <laughs> I say seven point win. Seven, seven point, point win? Let's yeah. go. City of Los Angeles. A lot Angeles of offense. Up. A lot of offense. Yeah. Exciting. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Until next time, we're going to record Tuesday for our Wednesday episode. Going to go into the next AFC and NFC East offseason needs and game plans. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. Tailgate.